Welcome to SOGCAST number 27. My name is John Stryker-Meyer. I'll be your host today. This production is brought to you courtesy of Jocko Willing Productions and his creative staff, and we thank them for making these stories possible about the eight-year secret war fought during the Vietnam War by Green Berets across the fence. They are frantically beating me back to consciousness, pouring water over my head. Okay. Okay. I'm back. I try to get up. My legs don't work. From the knees down, my fatigue pants are shredded. I'm bleeding. One of the men, Kwong, starts smearing gelatinized rice on my legs, arms, face, and chest. Web gear and what is left of my survival vest are lying on the ground in bloody tatters, along with the car 15. It's bent where the barrel meets the receiver and the bolt can't be pulled back. Locke orders a scout to bury the car. As I'm flying through the air instantly, I'm looking up into the jungle canopy, seeing a muddled light stream through a haze of cordite. It's over. You saw it coming and couldn't get out of the way. Lower, below me, the, con the concussion lifts me from the ground, pushing me through the air. My feet are over my head. Green tracers crack around me like lady finger firecrackers. That tree is upside down and moving fast. This is all wrong. Focus or you'll miss the moment of your death. I hear myself say, I can't breathe. I feel like I'm drowning. This is a passage from the book Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, and today we're honored to have as our guest on Sawcast number 27, Lynn M. Black Jr. Lynn, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, John. <laughs> it took us a while to get you here, but we, you're here. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, I just got to uh, say, uh, we're at the mark. This is being recorded in the middle of June of 2022. And since uh, Jocko first doing interviews on SOG, and we've done our SOG cast, um, I have to, in all modesty, say the most requested person to be interviewed would be Lynn M. Black Jr. Low expectations. <laughs> <laughs> you just never know, do you? Uh, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> and so the passage that I'm reading, again, is from Lynn's book, Whiskey Fox Trot Tangle, that came out years ago. And there are several stories in it, uh, but the most compelling of which was a mission that was October 5th, 1968. And even I, upon relearning, learned that mission was in Oscar 8, yep. a fact that somehow I had missed when I wrote my book on the story. <laughs> but you didn't. You did a good job. And the book is just, uh, the thing I like about it, it's so unique, it's like more of a random you telling your stories, and not only 
does it capture like the war story, but there's a lot of that interchange between yourself, your team members, and there's some classic lines. And so what we're referring to here is for our, list, our first-time viewers or listeners is that on October 5th, a nine-man recon team, Spike Team Alabama, was inserted into a target. They had a new uh, team leader who put the team on the ground, and on that team, Lynn Black was at that time the one-two who was the radio operator. And they didn't realize it, but they landed in an area heavily populated with an NVA, a North Vietnamese Army enemy force in Laos that um, at the time we thought was three to 5,000 enemy soldiers who once they heard about the team on the ground came after that team with a vengeance. The battle was an ongoing battle all day. And during the eight-year secret war, in my humble opinion, this is one of the top five stories in terms of a team, integrity, leadership against incredible odds, including everything from uh, having a hard time coordinating assets to the enemy being skilled at deceiving our aircraft in and destroying them and killing personnel. And in the end, the nine-man team, six survived, mm -hmm. actually got out of that target. And uh, at the end, we'll talk a little bit more about a final wrap-up on the total casualty count, which has a couple unique spinoffs even there. There's, there's nothing about this story that isn't unique. So welcome to the show. And uh, what <laughs> you and I have talked about this before, but never for the camera. But what was that moment? First of all, when you said grenade, I always thought it might be a traditional Chicom that would be shrapnel. But no. in rereading your book these past few days, it was a concussion grenade, and why? Yeah, so so the uh, we've all seen it from World War II movies, the grenades that the uh, Germans had. Uh, potato mashers. Which they called potato mashers. Yeah. yeah. Well, the uh, NVA had a similar grenade, but it was all made out of wood, and they were concussion grenades. The only shrapnel from them would be the wood it, it, itself. There wasn't any really? metal. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that's what hit me in the side of the head, and I, I watched it as it dropped to the ground at my feet, and I thought to myself at the time, I remember, this is going to hurt, because I, <laughs> I couldn't, I, you know, you, you can't get out of the way. And uh, it, uh, it blew me up. <laughs> Literally? <laughs> yeah. Off your feet. Yeah, yeah. As yeah. you explain, Put my through. feet over my head and, and uh, threw me into a, a big uh, tree that was, that I happened to be next to and, and uh, rendered me unconscious for a while. <laughs> You're more or less uh, flying through the air without the greatest of ease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Smoke. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah. Because when you woke up, the, the part about your pants and everything else. Oh, yeah, it shredded because uh, it went off, of course, as it hit the ground. And it just shredded uh, my pants from from about the knees down and, and uh, blew all my gear up over, over the top of my head. <laughs> Oh, yeah, gosh. yeah, just kind of shredded everything, and I, and I was just, you know, it was a heavy concussion. <laughs> oh, indeed. Yeah. And was that vest, the vest, one of the first stylized 
yeah. Lynn Black it was, vest. Yes, it was actually a and fishing. And the NBA warned, wounded. Yeah. Yeah. Ruined it. It, it was a, it was a fly fishing vest. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. you working on those. Yeah, we got various pictures at different yeah. stages. Yeah, yeah. But now they're highly sought after. I know. That's amazing, isn't it? They're now called one zero vest. Yeah. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's where I kept all the survival gear and the Irk Ten and all of that stuff. Right. Yeah. So, um, at what led to this moment. In that day, October 5th, was um, ST Alabama was inserted. You were inserted on a second helicopter, which when you went in, you took enemy fire. Right. And you, because you had served previously a tour of duty in Vietnam, in South Vietnam, with 173rd Airborne with your mm-hmm. brother, you, mm-hmm. you had come up against our communist friends down south. Yeah. And you also knew that if you saw an NVA flag flying, that right. had to be estimated enemy strength of what a battalion or a regiment or what yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. If, if there was a flag there was at least three or four hundred guys that were in the immediate area and and the LZ I think was the equivalent of uh, their parade field you know oh, and, yeah. oh no is that yeah. right yeah so we know you know it was going to be a, a good landing because it was a well well the next trod area <laughs> yeah see I forgot that part too. yeah oh yeah. my god yeah okay so when you're on the ground yourself uh, cowboy who was the interpreter mm-hmm. and we're talking uh, uh, Khan and his nickname was Cowboy mm-hmm. and he Don was Khan. yes and um, he turned to you you turned to the one zero who was a newly appointed one zero right who was appointed the team leader because of rank right not because of experience on the ground correct in prairie fire which is the code name for layoffs at that time in May of, of I mean October of '68, and they all said, "Hey, there's Buku enemy here. Let's get out of here." Yeah. And um, was the second helicopter shot down on the, after it dropped you off, or was there a King B shot down soon thereafter? There, it was afterwards. The the one that we were on took a tremendous amount of hits. It was it was being hit as we were coming in for the landing. Okay. Yeah, and and we got off anyway because. The other half of the team was already on, on the ground. Uh, on the ground, we weren't going to leave them there. And see, just for our, our uh, audience again, under any ordinary circumstance, any team that took enemy fire on an insertion, because it's a clandestine infiltration. Yeah, games up. Yeah, yeah. games up. <laughs> yeah. It's time to go home. Yeah. But in this case, because of the inexperienced team leader, right? He goes, "No, yeah. we're here to stay." Right. There's some language that he had, but anyways, right. he then. Then he committed the mortal sin yeah. of recon. Yeah. He marched the team down the trail. Yeah, absolutely. Worst thing you can do. Absolutely. That's the number one rule. You do not walk on trails. Never. That's where the enemy walks. Yeah. You, know, you walk in the undergrowth, right? <laughs> that's why our golden rule was don't ever walk on trails. Uh, you that, can cross them. That's, that's, yeah, you can cross them. You can take pictures of footprints. Yeah. You can, you can lay, lay anti-personnel mines on them. Blow up trucks on them. Booby trap the crap out of them. Bomb them. Yeah, but you don't walk on them. <laughs> uh, well, anyways... Um, so after you go down that trail, the trail then lowers. You, you kind of go downhill, and then on the right you find – because you've been on the ground for a little bit, and right. then he moved on the trail. I forget the trail descended, but you eventually yeah. came into – explain a little bit about that yeah, so, topology. So, so, so the trail kind of, kind of goes down, and there's a, there's a hill to our right and, and another rise to our, 
to our left. So we're we're in another thing, another situation that you don't do. Okay, <laughs> when you know the enemy is is all around you, you get to high ground, not low ground. Yeah. Because the enemy then was on both sides <sighs> of us on high ground, and uh, that's when they sprung the ambush when we got when we walked into that perfect uh, position for them to kill us. And so you're on the trail. And you walk into what would call an L-shaped ambush. So yeah. you're, the top part of the L is you're, you're walking parallel to it. Right. At the bottom is an L that takes a 90-degree yeah, turn. Correct. You walk into it, and unbeknownst to you and the team, there's at least 50 NVA up there yeah. on that little rise. Right. And um, they know you're coming. You don't know they're there. Right. And I know that your recon senses are hyper. And this is your first mission your first SOG, My first recon SOG mission, mission, yeah. Other across other, the fence, other than practice, yeah. Other than the training mission, yeah. Right. Tim Schaff, yeah. <laughs> which we'll get back to a little bit later. Yeah, which which was a little <laughs> weird in itself. Yeah. Well, let's make this really easy. If we have any stories that aren't unique or weird, we're not going to deal with them today. Oh, okay. Because we're dealing strictly with the prerequisite. This yeah, so is the Limbeck genre here. So, so if we're not going to deal with weird, this conversation's over. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There's so many scenarios here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, uh, so getting back to that fateful day, um, again, quoting from the well-written book "Whiskey Tango Foxtrot." RT Alabama was ambushed at approximately 0800 hours, October 5th, 1968, at coordinates Yankee Charlie 561692. Our point man Wa, was hit multiple times in the chest and lower body. In that same instant, three rounds penetrated our 1-0 team leader's head. Now, this is the same tea leader that made the mistake of walking down the trail. Right. Cowboy, the interpreter, was behind stride and took an RPD, which is a machine gun, round below his left shoulder. I was behind Cowboy when he went down. The assistant team leader, the 1-1, went down at the same time. I thought he was hit as well. Oh, my God. Yeah. That moment in time. We, I, we actually, I, I, I thought we were dead, all of us, that we'd all be greased right there in that hole. Yeah. Yeah. How, how did you know? I, think, I, I assume some of the fact that your, your team had drilled on returning fire. Right. That you forced the 50 on the L-shaped ambush to at least right. put their heads down. Right. So the first thing you do when you get into an ambush like that is full auto and fire, fire as close to the ground as possible in a, in a fan in order to clear out the area. And, and you, you uh, are trained to try to penetrate through that in order to break that ambush. But they had us on actually three sides. Three? Yeah. And, and we, no matter which way we went, we were, we were dead meat. It's a real knocker's barrel. Yeah. So we just formed up in a circle. We found out who was alive and who was dead. And uh, strip the strip the bodies of the of the dead of uh, weapons, ammunition, stuff like that, and any maps or in, in intel that they had on them. Right. And uh, carried on from there. Yeah, because like you said, there you yourself were thumbing the selector thrust to Car 15, the single shot. I right. uh, began to pick them off. This is after yeah. the initial yeah. impact. Yeah. 
Well, and they 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 knew they had us, so they stood up. Really? Yeah, and and to our right, they all they just stood up online, and so it was it was like shooting <laughs> shooting clay pigeons, you know. <laughs> yeah, but the way you described it, you're on the receiving end of that. Well, and, yeah, they're shooting back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're shooting single rounds at the time, right? So I pushed the magazine button to replace that. Shredded vegetation roils in the air, punctuated by NVA green tracers searching out their targets, which would be you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> An NVA I shot a moment ago is getting up and pointing in my direction. Okay. My second magazine snaps into place, slapping the left side of the receiver. The car 15 bolt slams forward. As I rise, the weapon firing twice. Stay down, damn it. <laughs> we got to break contact. I yell at the team. Continuing down the line, emptying magazine two, the NVA fall like targets in a shooting gallery. Another line moves in behind them, taking their place. We're in a low spot. We got to get out of here. Right. So... By that time, you're able, in your spare time, you're able to notify Covey that you're in deep doo-doo. Yeah. And Pat uh, Watkins, a.k.a. Mandolin, mm -hmm. was flying Covey that day. And Covey is the forward air controller for our first-time listeners. And the code name was Covey in the SOG and the Secret War. And it would be an Air Force O2 and flown by an Air Force pilot. And then in the right seat is a Green Beret with experience on SOG experience. Usually one zeros that have started Covey riding. Yeah. Right. And that was a unique aspect of it because the Covey rider, with his experience, could relate to teams on the ground. And in this case, you knew Mandolin because he's back at FOB1 with right. us when we were there together. Yep. And on this occasion, the man you're talking to, you know him. Yep. And he's getting ready to kick in whatever he can do to get tack air. Yep. Meanwhile, you're down there surviving. And um, what? How long did you stay in that little centric area before you're able to actually begin to move away from that? Because the second wave comes in on that damn ambush. Yeah, yeah. I so, forgot about that. Yeah, so 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 it, that's it, it. Can't be more than five minutes, okay? Which is a lifetime. Oh yeah. On the ground when people are shooting at you, and <laughs> and to be honest with you, I'm not sure. You you you, you kind of play out this. Who's alive? Who's dead? Who's wounded? Uh, how the hell do we get out of the situation routine? And the, and and once you get the team organized, and you figure out what you have as far as assets on the ground, then you start figuring out how to get out of the situation. And we did everything that we were supposed to do in an ambush. You know, when you get ambushed, and uh, and we we. Uh, by our actions, we caused them to reduce fire and begin to change positions, uh, and not be as bold as they as they originally were. They they stopped standing up, right? Uh, they they did things like uh, well, they'd lay on the ground and you know do that do that kind of stuff. They'd climb up in trees to shoot down on. Yeah, snipers. Oh, like, yeah, that 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 kind oh. of stuff. So it it gave us. We figured, okay, claim more time and all that, and, and uh, get out of the hole. So you start. You start figuring out which way you're going to go, 
And at the same time, you're on the radio going cubby blackjack over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're able to get some uh, air cover fairly quick? Uh, it, it, uh, not really. Yeah, because you were there yeah. by yourself for yeah, a while. Yeah, because uh, where uh, the assets, the air cover assets had been released and were on their way back uh, out, of, out of the area. And so what Cubby did was he was able to get pe- uh, uh, air assets from other other sources yeah, because ours were out of fuel and that kind of stuff. Right, because the ride across South Vietnam into the AO, yeah. drop you off, right, and then they return back, that was all in progress. Yeah, yeah. So that's why even worserer, yeah. <laughs> you're out there. It's just now you're down nine reduced. Well, nine reduced to seven at that point. That's correct. We thought you had one KA, but the assistant team leader, who will just call one one for today. Right. He was on the ground praying. Yeah. Yeah. And never fired around. For never a day. fired around. That's right. But one of the things you had to do was to get out. So you pulled out a claymore. And again, going back to this book, it just it's just filled with amazing detail. You're talking about getting the claymore out. But then you're referring to the enemy, and we're going to put this claymore in the direction of these willing men from the north, the loving husband and the son-in-law who likes to grow his own vegetables. Fuck them all. That's right. <laughs> so you, because I had a first tour over there and got to know Vietnamese, right? Yeah. You're fighting people. Yes. Other men, and they're just like you. Their husbands, their fathers, their uncles, so on and so forth. They eat, they they live. Well, fuck them all. You're right. When they're shooting at you, everybody's fair game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they, this is a side of communism we don't hear about today. Yeah. Yeah. And, I th- and the reason why you pulled the claymore out was the claymores were the smoke of clearing. So you blasted the claymores and literally blew a hole in right. the charging enemy forces. Right. Big enough for you to yell, Alabama up, follow me. Mm-hmm. The team moves through the path of carnage with our weapons on full auto while we assist our wounded. Online, this is what you get for screwing with one of the Black Brothers. That's right. Now you got to explain that just a little bit because we haven't gotten into that part yet. But. <laughs> okay. So, so on my, you want me to do that now? Yeah, please. Okay. So on my uh, first tour, I was there from uh, May of 65 through uh, July of 66 in the 173rd Airborne Brigade. Right. And my brother, one of my younger brothers, uh, Hugh, uh, was wounded by uh, a mortar. And uh, uh, he was... Uh, split from the hip down to the knee, clear to, clear to the bone, and oh. broke all his ribs on on one side, and, and screwed him up pretty bad. That's a long time healing. Yeah, yeah. He spent a lot of time in Madigan Hospital here in Washington State. And when I got out of the service after that first two hour tour, I was living in Hawaii, and and I decided to go back in because what I during that first tour, even though I saw action, I never saw the enemy. Isn't that amazing? Because that's something that, when I say that, even yeah. in some of our combat, yeah. people go, "Wait, I don't understand what you right. just said." Kumbiak. Well, you, well you're, you're you're fighting in the jungle and, right. and triple canopy, and and we weren't fighting the North Vietnamese army. We we were fighting the Viet Cong, 
and they were they were people who had come down from the north, uh, and and their their job was to disrupt. Uh, uh, the the American fighting machine, okay, right. and to disrupt the Vietnamese government. And this was the first time the one seventy third had come into the that's, South Vietnam War. Yeah, that's 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 correct. We were we came off of Okinawa with the Marine Corps, and uh, and we we were the first people, uh, the first Army unit actually to be in Vietnam, and uh, yeah. So my brother my brother got hit. I was living in Hawaii. And, uh, uh, being an artist doing sketches of people in bars for food and yeah, yeah. all that kind of good stuff. And uh, and one night I was sitting in a place called Duke Kahanamoko's uh, watching <laughs> Frank Sinatra sing on the stage with, uh-huh. the, with the Rat Pack. Yeah. And I was watching this little black and white TV down behind the bar and I, the bartender was a, was a veteran also. And they were, and Walter Cronkite was talking about the war and I said, all right. Screw this! They nailed my brother. I didn't see those sons of bitches. And Cronkite just said, "We're losing the war. I'm going back." <laughs> and so, what the reason that I went back? I, I uh, is, I wanted to get even for what they did to my brother. Indeed. Yeah, <laughs> and that was my whole purpose for for the second and third tours. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, getting back to our day on the ground. Yes. <clears throat> um. As you go through, you blew the hole through the on-charging enemy troops, mm-hmm. and then what's left of their ragged line sporadically returns fire on our small band. Cowboy stumbles and falls, having taken another round to his left side. He comes haltingly to his feet, giving the okay signal. Once seemingly through and past the NBA battle line, Locke, and Locke at this point is your team leader. He's the year He's the zero one, yeah. The zero one. Right. For Alabama. Collapses our online formation to inline and orders the team to go on single shot. The left side of Cowboy's shirt is soaked with blood. Blocked by impassable terrain on one side and NBA forces on the other, we work our way through the dense undergrowth growth back toward our point of insertion. So what were you thinking at that point, hoping to get a, a, a possible exfil sooner than later? Yeah, that, and it was steak and night back away. at FOB1, <laughs> and uh, there was free beer and a steak, and uh, it was Indeed. time to go home. <laughs> yeah, this is the best time you've been on the ground for maybe close to an hour. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Days, the day's work is over. <laughs> yeah, and I, besides that, we're almost out of ammo. <laughs> so Locke, is, I just, he's really sharp. He was excellent, yeah. Just a great yeah. counterpart. Yeah. We had our Sal and then Quang. Right, right. And you had Locke. Of course, Doti Quang was with you that day with Alabama Correct. before we kidnapped him to Idaho a year later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but here's Locke's don't fire randomly. Kill the enemy. Right. Whew. That's we continue maneuvering our way through the high, thick underbrush towards the primary and all this is going on meanwhile you're trying to get things in uh, for attack air mm-hmm. and um, then there's a possibility oh so while you're on the ground being situational awareness everything else is going on you're talking to Covey now right. Covey runs low on gas so Mandolin leaves mm-hmm. the Covey rider Mandolin is replaced by Spider Robert J. Spider Parks right on Former Idaho one zero, 
and then you're now dealing with spider and um you can like all these different scenarios that just keep coming up mm-hmm. at one point spider suggests well maybe we should get a bright light team to come into yeah. you yeah to help you out and boy your line of thinking because the bright light at that time throughout the eight years of the secret war if a team was in trouble, a bright light would go in to theoretically help them or to get bodies out or for right. down pilots, right? things like that. Yeah. And so Sparta suggests, hey, we should get a bright light to come down and help you guys. Yeah. And tell them your answer because it's, it's classic, but it was right. Yeah. Uh, go ahead if you're going to read it. No, go you go. I <laughs> said, no, we're no, no bright light. And we, we don't need another team on the ground. You got enough shit going on here, right? Yeah, yeah and that's basically it. It, it, it is it, usually usually a bright light team like that would be inserted behind the enemy that, right. that you're fighting in order to draw some of them off, and then and then try to maneuver around and join up so that you can all come out at, at roughly the same time when when the helicopters came in to take you home. Well, the terrain wouldn't allow that where where we were at. And there were just too many of these guys. I mean, uh, supposedly this was supposed to be, uh, the initial mission was to track a 3,000-man regiment down the Ho Chi Minh Trail. There were several teams before us that tried this that either got shot up or disappeared. And and, uh, we just figured that we uh, we weren't no longer tracking them. We had found them. And like I said earlier, we, we found their parade field, I think. (laughs) <laughs> and and uh, we didn't need we didn't need more people on the ground to get killed. We needed to get the hell out of there, and in order to do that, we needed all the assets that could be divorced, uh, uh, diverted to our to our location. Assets being gunships, sky yeah, raiders, helicopter gunship, yep, A one yeah, sky raider, yeah, phantoms, phantoms, yeah, they had it all, yeah, B fifty twos. So this, yeah, that was a little bit later, <laughs> yeah, <so laughs> later on in the drama here, but. You know, so now you're beginning to work the assets. Right. You do that in conjunction with Covey, Spider, and then um, a new problem surfaces. Uh, Spider says that we're going to cancel the bright light. And he says, Roger that. By the way, he just kind of mentions this blackjack. By the way, the assets are beginning to have difficulty with the weather and smoke hanging over the LZ. Yeah. I mean, oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so if uh, uh, three or 4,000 guys are, you know, th- let's say there's a regiment of 3,000 guys yeah. that we were sent out there to look for. And 3,000 guys shooting guns plus a recon team creates a lot of cordite, <laughs> and, which drifts around. And then plus we were in the mountains and the weather was starting to, uh, the clouds were starting to drop down uh, in, in the mountains, the helicopters and the and gunships and stuff couldn't find where we were at. They were having difficulty finding where we were at. So, wow. Yeah. So at one point, like with the Phantom Jets, if you held your, um, was it the ERC-10? No, it was a, the, just a, a PRC-25. PRC-25. So if you key your handset, they had the ability to lock onto that and vector that vector your position and, right. l- and line up on it. And then they're okay. able to do a gun run right. based off your right. vector That's on right. the enemy but yeah. not hitting the team. Yeah, hopefully. Under cloudy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So what the what the Phantoms were doing was there was uh, we were on a plateau which had. A, uh, a drop off on one side, and they were coming through this valley, and then coming up, 
in order to make the gun run on, right. onto the plateau. The to avoid way. all the anti-aircraft. That and avoid the anti-aircraft gun. But they were they had to stay out of the clouds, so they they, they knew what, what the terrain was that they were operating in. And that first one that came in like that, what was that like, just seeing that F-4 Phantom come roaring in like that? Scared the crap out of me. <laughs> Because it happens so fast, right? Well, the first oh. thing, the, the, the first thing you, the, the first thing is all the all the crap that's going on on the ground, right? Yeah. Which is them firing, and then you hear the sound, and then the jet comes screaming by, and it's like you, you don't think of it in that way. You think you're going to see the plane, hear the sound, and see the action like you do in the movies, right? Right. Well, it happens in reverse when you're on the ground, particularly with the fast. Moves. Oh yeah, and oh, they're and they're God. moving fast too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then. Uh, the other part of that, too, was after the gun run, he would dip down into the valley right. as he left the area yeah, to come right. back for another gun run just right. to avoid. This is part of that whole tactical thing with yeah. the anti-aircraft the, weaponry. Well, well, the other thing is that the anti-aircraft guns have got a, uh, a mechanism on them that only allows the gun tubes to go down to a certain level. So they were flying under oh, is that the right? anti-aircraft fire because the guns couldn't be lowered down to shoot at them. <laughs> yeah. If it works, yep. Hey, whatever that's where, works. That's where yeah. good intel comes in. Yep, that's right. So, one of those runs, napalm comes in, forcing dozens of the enemy to scurry onto the LZ, which is the landing zone, escaping the infernal, engulfing their comrades. So, when that happens, you get a new phenomenon, which is close to the belt. Yep. So, yep. They hit with napalm. The enemy knows this is coming. Right. And then they charge the team. Right. They try to get in as close to you as possible so that they can't get, that we can't direct fire on. And so by this point, your ammo supplies are critical. Yeah. You yell out ammo check. Right. And as the people are checking it, then you hear king bees coming. Yeah. And the king bees at this point were the South Vietnamese Air Force, the 219th Mm -hmm. Special Operations Squadron. Yep. So you can hear them chugging their way in, and this is yet the first stage of another tragic moment in time, which if you want to just right. go through that a little bit from your end. I don't remember this stuff. I wrote that book too long ago. Is that right? That's why I got the book right That's... here. <laughs> Read that. <laughs> I will be glad to. The first king bee. Uh, we watch in disbelief as the first king bee touches down right over an NVA smoke marker taking multiple RPG rocket rounds on its flight deck. The force of the blast is so great, the ship teeters and finally topples on its side, each subsequent rotor blade smashing into the ground, whooping in our direction, narrowly missing Alabama as we approach. Yeah, we were laying on the ground, and those rotor blades were... Two of them went right over our heads. Oh. I mean, barely missed us. <laughs> yeah. Whew. So, again, because you, so in the middle of all of this, you're ducking propeller blades from a crashing King Bee, and you have to worry about your ammo check. We grab up NVA weapons, turning them on the enemy. They're everywhere. Why didn't we see them until now, you ask yourself? Yeah. <laughs> These AKs have a slower rate of cyclic fire. The ammunition will last longer. We don't need a resupply. 
we can keep doing this till hell freezes over. Yeah. As long as there's enemy that you can kill, you can use their weapons, right? <laughs> uh, yes. And so... And I mean, it's, it's not like they're off in a distance from you. They're right at your front door. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and part of that problem was when the, he came in, um, you popped a green smoke, but the NVA, which had a, um, a proclivity for trying to guess... Right. They popped the green smoke. Right. The King B saw their smoke, yeah. and they paid the price for, right. the, for the air there. Right. And um, second King B came in, and sadly, that second King B went down. Yep. But at least you didn't have to worry about crashing propellers. Right. But that's two aircraft down. Right. And uh, then— That as, was our ride home. Yes. Yeah. That was your first ride home. Yep. And— um, as all of that's unfolding and you're picking up magazines from the enemy, I don't know, did you bother with any enemy hand grenades? No. No, just the weapons and bullets. Right, right. And then bugles are sounding, wave upon wave of NVA troops carrying rifles with fixed bayonets is advancing online. When they are feet away, we open fire using weapons we have taken from their dead. After the first burst of full automatic, the team fumbles with the AK selector switches to single shots, pushing them back. We move from body to body using their weapons and their cadavers as a shield, crawling, kneeling, knee-walking, standing, scrambling, online, in line, we defend each other and ourselves. Without a word, a look, a plan, acting on training, pure survival instinct, all of us, except one one, are scampering about dragging. We're lugging bodies, placing them in a circle around Alabama, stacking them high. We construct a cadaver Garrison. I've never heard that term before. Cadaver garrison. Cadaver garrison, yeah. 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 You make a circle of bodies and you live in it. Oh, and just in your spare time. Yeah. 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 Cowboy had a new wound. A, he's bleeding from a grazing wound to the back of his neck this time. Yeah. After getting hit by an RPD, shrapnel, and now he's got a head wound. It was like a bullet magnet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that trouble too. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the body cadavers worked mm -hmm. for a while. For a while, yeah, becomes a hell of a target too. By the way, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for mortars and things like that. Right. Yeah, and I forget at some point. You're right because at some point, then somebody wakes up and goes, "Let's stop some mortars on this guy." Yeah, now, yeah. You had caught hand grenades and threw them back. You're right. Yeah, but in this case, it's just you just can't catch mortars. No. <laughs> oh, my God. And, um, again, it's, uh, do you have some other good references to your support that day? In this case, it was from the 176th mm -hmm. out of the AmeriCal Division, codenamed the Judge 
and the executioner. True. Indeed. (laughs) There was George Miller and his crew as well. For Scarface. Yeah, yeah. Did Scarface get there first? Yeah, Scarface was there first. George George Miller was their their, uh, leader, flight leader. Right. It was his birthday. No. He was 23 years old that day. (laughs) Yeah, he was supposed to be celebrating birthday back on his birthday back on some air base somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Probably back at Dedang with fellow Marines. Yeah. And his... uh, yeah, uh, he he told me this story. He he came to see me year, uh, before he died years ago, and uh, he he said when uh, they ran out of ammunition, he had a, he was running a gunship, right? Right. And they decided that they were going to land and try to pick us up. And when they came in to land, uh, a bunch of North Vietnamese stood up right in front of him and killed his uh, Peter pilot. No. Yeah, shot him in the chest. And he, he got out of there and went back and refueled and, and uh, came back with a vengeance. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Oh, my God. I forgot about the Peter pilot. Yeah. So they had left. There's a new set of guns. Two Huey Hog attack helicopters. They come in and, um, you know, you talk to the judge, and the judge is the first one. He's the lead helicopter yeah. pilot in that. And... Some of the dialogue is just so well written here. Blackjack, judge, over. Go, judge. Anyone in particular or just kill them all? Yeah. He says. <laughs> Grease them all, I say, with a malevolent, bloody grimace. You're just in time for the party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, this is just some of these, these, these little dialogue between right. you and the participants that day. Right. In the middle of this gut check situation. And uh, I think the judge's door gun, of course, you know, this is a UE. We have a door gunner on each side. When they make the gun runs, they have weapons that are firing either rockets or yeah. um, machine guns. They, they had 40 millimeters on them uh, under the nose and uh, rocket pods on the side, 72 rockets, I think, they had total. Right. And then the door gunners. Of course, yeah. uh, one of the, I, I think it was the judge's door gunner, it was his cherry mission. Yeah, Berg Garlow, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So William Berg, this is his first mission. It's like, what in the hell have I gotten myself into? Welcome to the Prairie yeah. Fire, Berg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't know how that name came up, but I remember that. And so um, they have their gun runs, and you're just barely hanging on. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, Cowboy gets wounded yet again. And you're there repairing him, <laughs> applying medical bandages. And this, I just love this little moment in time between you and Cowboy. Um, summing up the energy around all the medical gear, I'm giving you morphine and we'll apply a compress to that rune. But we're going to run out of bandages if you keep getting shot. That's now right. knock it off, okay? Yeah, that's an order. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then Cowboy... Uh, where's John Wayne when we need yeah. yeah, so you're joking around out there. You, you don't expect to get out of there alive, right? right. So what, what are you going to do? Right? Yeah. <laughs> All those moments in time. Yeah. So uh, shortly after that, um, Kuang gets hit by a sniper, and he's, he gets uh, shot in the crotch. Mm-hmm. And you pick up your borrowed AK on full automatic in and unload it in a tree about 100 yards away, resulting in the sniper falling 
threw its limbs and branches to the ground below with a thump. If I could rip your heart out and eat it, I would. Kuang, what have we done? Last week, you got arrested by national police in a way, the city of Way, whorehouse for carrying a pistol. The entire Alabama team put on their gear and went to town and broke you out of jail so you could run this mission. God damn it. I wish we left you in that place, brother. Yep. Where you'd be safe now. Yeah. <sighs> Those little twists of time. Yeah. You just never know how things are going to unfold. Yeah. Oh, my God. And if, if, you, if you ever please. get to interview uh, Tim Schaff, if you ever talk to him, ask him about that whorehouse story. Because oh. that, was, that was a really big deal. Tim, Tim was the team leader at the time of Alabama. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and we all got in a truck. We went down there and, and drove, up to that, drove up to that place. And, Not the uh, whorehouse, but the jail. The, but the jail to, yeah. to, to, to get him out of jail with <laughs> M60 machine guns and everything. And along the way, there was an Air Force wa- officer walking down the road, and Tim said, come on, we'll give you a ride. And, and he, he, the guy went, who the hell are you guys, you know, because there's no ID, no, yeah. no markings on us or anything. And you got all Vietnamese. Yeah, yeah, and when we're down there threatening the national police and this officer's <laughs> his eyes are about this big, and he says, you're the officer. You have to negotiate this guy to get us out of jail. <laughs> And the officer puffs himself up, right? Did he really? Yeah. Kong comes out of jail, and off we go back to camp. (laughs) Oh, my God. So as the drama unfolds, um, you and, uh, again, we're confronted with the mortars again. Yeah. The mortars open fire, but this time, um, like you acknowledge, we can't catch them and throw them back. Yeah. So Locke and I... Slide over the cadaver wall, crouching, crawling, knee walking. We move toward the mortars, cautiously picking out, picking our way through the charred bodies from previous airborne assaults. Quietly, yeah, right. We travel into the jungle within a few yards of the first mortar tube. Locke stops me to draw a plan in the dirt. He will hit tube one. I will take tube three, and we will combine on top t- tube two. Damn suicide mission, I say to my breath. Locke nods. Kiet Rory, he replies. We, we die. die. Yeah. So needless to say, he takes out the first mortar pit, has some enemy contact. He gets actually pinned down. Yeah. And then you, <laughs> Lee, returning to the book, I'm... Locke is pinned down, yelling as loud as possible. I'm drawing their attention, allowing Locke to move out of the kill zone. I roll our last fragmentation grenade into their midst, killing several, wounding the rest. Locke and I attack the second tube before returning to the team, picking up ammo from the dead. Snipers dog us all the way back to our cadaver Garrison, the two of us press our bloody bodies against the jungle floor as green tracers search the air around us. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah. Yes, the beat goes on. Yeah. But you got the mortar tubes yeah. out. Yeah, we got the mortar tubes, and if you can imagine, at this point, 
every single guy on the team who is alive from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet is covered in blood. <laughs> we just were red from blood, just everywhere, moving the bodies, you know, crawling around and stuff like that. And the the local flora and fauna, and dirt, twigs, leaves, and all that crap is beginning to stick to us. We look, we look like we're wearing our own ghillie suits, our own camouflage suits, right? Mother Nature's finest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bigfoot had nothing on us. Yeah. <laughs> but you never, th- but to, to get it that thick on your skin between the sweat and everything else is oh, going yeah, on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. And so... <clears throat> The next approach to rescue STI to uh, Alabama is, this time, Jolly Green Giants. Mm-hmm. When everything else fails, we knew that we could call the Air Force Jolly Green Giants that had the HH-3 helicopters at that time, mm-hmm. which were more heavily armored, right. had heavily weapons. And um, again, I just um, that's one of those sad moments where the pilot comes in and goes to the wrong smoke. Yep. Oh. And then the uh, as the pilot goes toward the wrong smoke, the NBA raise up all around JG-64, firing everything they have. As the pilot keys his radio to answer back, I hear a crew member in the background calm yelling, we have a fuel leak, it's everywhere. Get me out of here. The pilot struggles to lift off while maintaining control. That aircraft then leaves the area. Yep. Then a second one comes in, and this one is Jolly Green Giant 10 approaches. And the Green Furies, meaning enemy fire, playing a deafening tune through its skin. Yep. Now you're writing here from... Our position, we can see an enemy rocket crew rise up in the grass, take aim, and fire directly into the underbelly of JG-10. Right. We're hit. We have a six-inch hole through the floor. Both engine warning lights just came on. We can't make the pickup. And you're going back, oh, my God, both engines are on fire. Right. And I got that information from the pilot whose his name is Sam Granier, lives in uh, uh, Louisiana. Louisiana. And, uh, yeah, he, 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 he told me that story. I talked to him on the phone about what happened to them. Well, that's what's, I think that's what makes some of your book so compelling. It's, you're not just telling a little stodgy war story. Mm-hmm. Like Joe Bip the Ragman came up against 10 NVA today. It was a bad day in hell. Yeah. You went back and got a hold of the people. Right. And then you talked to them about the quotes from that day. Right. Yeah. You, which You want the personal stories. They're really, you know, what they were thinking, what they were doing. Absolutely. And so here is the classic example. It's you're able to talk to him. Yeah. And so from there... He crashes. Yeah. And if you talk just a little bit, when he crashes, um, I've, I'm looking for the detail right here at that moment, but that Jolly Green crashed. One crew member was killed. Right. And then, um, but they're out of sight. As far as you're concerned, they crashed. You're aware of it. Yeah, we, we thought they were dead. Right. Yeah. And 
you know, now it's like, okay, what's next? Right. So this firefight, all this different action has gone on. And so now we're later into the day. You had other fast movers in. Cubby had to come back. And then um, you uh, get a, a message from uh, Mandolin telling you that Jolly Green Giant 32 is en route. Mm-hmm. And you get on the Air Force frequency, and he tells you that uh, we have 20 minutes of fuel mm-hmm. before I leave. The first person we must see better be an American. Right. Hurry. We are taking heavy ground fire. Our armor isn't holding up this close to the source. Yeah. Oh they were God. they were between two hillsides in a in a ravine. They had actually he had he had come in and lowered the uh, jolly green down into the trees. Was chopping the tops of trees out with his rotor blades and just sitting there. And they were on both both hillsides firing rockets and and uh, uh, machine gun fire through the sides of the helicopter. And so he had, I think he had an extra crew member because he had a. Traditionally, it'd be a, crew, a door door gunner on the right side, door gunner on the left. But also, in this case, they, didn't you say they saw a gunfire coming out of the back tailgate? No. No? Okay. No, no. That's my confusion. That's why I asked. Yeah. Now it's been clarified. Yeah. <laughs> so this changes the whole scene. And you're told by, uh, was, was it Mandolin, mm-hmm. that you got to get to this target? Right. I mean, not to the target, but to the helicopter. Right. But in order to get there, you've got to cover some nasty territory. Yeah. And that includes your little trip on a ledge. Yeah. Could you just back into that scenario? Yeah, well, they had they had backed us up to the edge of the cliff and and there was a there was a ledge about fifteen feet below. So we crawled down and worked our way along the rock face to to try to avoid them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is like a high, high-priced game of hide-and-go-seek. Well, it was worse than that. It was lunch hour, and we were missing. <laughs> oh, I forgot how bad yeah, that you is. Know, I mean, we didn't even get a break, you know what I mean? <laughs> so then, as all this is going on, you get a quick combo burst from uh, Covey mm-hmm. saying, an arc light is coming. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, arc light for our listening audience, please. As a, a flight of B-52s uh, coming out of uh, Udorn, uh, I believe it was, if I remember rightly. Yes. Yeah, and uh, they were they were going to uh, uh, arc light the whole area, which is uh, an arc light is usually about a mile long and about half a mile wide. And uh, several B-52s. Yeah, and they create big holes in the ground and <laughs> stuff like that, you know. So you talk to. Uh, Covey, and you asked for some gun runs between right. you and the helicopter. Right. And they're able to execute some of them, but then at some point, Blackjack, the CBU, which are cluster bomb unit strikes, right. right. they've created negative visibility. Yeah. We're unable to provide support until we can get a window open. Right. <laughs> and you're saying to yourself in the book, you're looking for a window, and I'm looking for a door. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. It was not only could they not see at that point, we were having difficulty on the ground scene. Really? It was like a fog had descended. Yeah. And you, you couldn't see 50 feet in front of you. 
<laughs> well, again, so here's your marvelous spirit, Lynn Black. Spider, Blackjack. The good news is it has also decreased visibility for the NVA. Yes, yes. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Gunfire <laughs> has noticeably subsided. Keep up the smoke. We'll move by ear. Hugging the face of the cliff, making our way across the rumble of the ledge, we come to a dead end. Crap. Now we have to climb up over the ledge. So you climb up and you continue to move forward. And all of this is going on. And then you finally get moving. Locke is the one zero, is lead, I mean the zero one, who's leading the team out. And you come across of all things, a village. Yeah. So it was it was it was basically what is known as a bin tram, which is a camp. And it, it will uh, depending on uh, where it is along along the Ho Chi Minh Trail on the Ho Chi Minh Trail, their migration route, it will hold uh, uh, three, four, five thousand people, and they're generally spread out over a, uh, about a five mile uh, length. And this one was uh, it had hundreds of of buildings in it, up you know hooches that were built up on stilts, like like you see the mountain yard housing. Yeah, sure, well, it was like that, and there were fire campfires and uh, kitchens. Fires were still burning. Oh yeah, there was stuff cooking, uh, <laughs> cooking in pots. Oh, they knew it was lunchtime. They, well, they got lunch. Did we get lunch? No, we didn't get a break. No. <laughs> I still want to complain about that, but <laughs> who do we complain to? Yeah, who about cares? <laughs> Oh, my God. And uh, so as you approached the village, you had one more surprise, which you see an American. Yeah, yeah. Caspier, I think yes. his name was. Yes, he, he was a PJ. A, a PJ pe- Dean Caspier. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, my God. Yeah, and he was on that chopper, that, that the second Jolly Green that crashed. You assumed all were dead, but uh, we, fortunately we, we, you were wrong. We thought they were all dead because we saw the fire. From you know, we we could see the smoke and stuff from from where we were, and he had Granier with him, who was the pilot. Right. And Granier had had his back broken. Somehow uh, he can walk. Yeah, but back. He, I'll tell you what. When when it's like cowboy, right? Yeah, yeah. Cowboy was shot to shit. <laughs> yeah. But he was running, shooting, talking. Okay, you're there's an adrenaline that takes over. When you get into a situation like that, Granier stood up, and he said, I think I'm hurt, but <laughs> off we went. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, it get, this is a moment in time for us also to, to talk and pay a little homage to the courage of the Jolly Green Giants. Oh, yeah. Which you just did so marvelously here. Because you quoted, you were able to get a hold of, of uh, Dean at some point, and the other members of the crew didn't make it, you asked? Yeah, they did. Yeah. And he goes, 10 was burning. There was only time to get Grenier out before it exploded. Yeah. Our flight engineer, <clears throat> excuse me, Greg Lawrence and co-pilot Dwayne Wester were trapped inside. Yeah. I didn't have time. And the PJ pauses. JG-10 exploded before I could get back to them. Right. We've been waiting for you guys, hoping you would make it before we had the E&E, talking about finally yeah. meeting up with you. So he's in that NVA camp, <laughs> eating food out of their pot, 
where they had been cooking. So he was he was eating and trying well, to did get. Did he share any food with yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. They were on a break. They got a break, right? <laughs> the no, Air so, Force. So he was. Yeah, the, yeah. The Air Force gets a break. Of course they. Did. So <laughs> so. The, so <laughs> Damn Air Force. So. So, except when we love, except when we need them. Yeah, yeah, I love those guys. <laughs> so, so what what he was doing was he was he was putting provisions together because he was going to uh, e &E. try to E and E with with Granier to get out of there, right? Mm -hmm. If if we didn't show up. Good God! So, again, being tactically astute, you point out the NVA are focused on JG thirty two. They're easing the pressure on us. We need to move as quickly as possible. 32 doesn't have much time left on station. We need to go now. So you move everybody out, head in that direction, and uh, Watkins is able to direct a couple more blind, quote, blind gun runs right. between you and JG32. Yeah. And then you follow and the team heads towards the helicopter. Right. Oh. That's just unbelievable. And so finally, you're able to get there. Uh, we progress hastily. And I just, just so many different little scenarios. I just people have got to get the book to get every little nuance here. I just can't do it justice today. But they do get there. You do have the American come out, so they know it's you. Yeah. They began loading some of the people. <clears throat> And as you, in the process of moving the team to, to the helicopter, um, so you hear about Kuang. Yeah, what the 1-1 one -one was uh, carrying Kuang on his back. And at some point, he put him down in a, in a bush and made his way to, the, he left him and put his, uh, headed towards the helicopter. And... Uh, uh, once I got guys going up on the jungle penetrator into the Jolly Green, I asked I asked him where where the hell is Kung, and he said he's back on the trail. So I turned around and ran down the trail to get him. God, now when you get to Kuang, quote Kuang is covered with bloated black leeches, mosquitoes and giant flies feeding off the last of his ebbing life. Yeah, he was white at oh. that point. He was, all, he was very close to death. Mumbling, he waddles, wobbles his Colt 45 at advancing NVA. Toy Kiet. I die. I die. The tail gunner motions me to return to the Jolly Green. I turn. Kuang shoots himself you sons of a bitches my cry is lost in the sounds of battle tears obscure my vision as i scramble like a raving lunatic back in the direction of the waiting ship rushing smack into two screaming nva soldiers their ak's pointed at me Chu hoy, chu hoy. Give up. Surrender. Yeah. And again, in your book, I surrender, you say. Yeah. But you didn't surrender. You oh, kept moving right toward Put my hands up and walked towards them. Yeah. And they moved up on either side of me, pushed one away, slapped the other one, grabbed that one, shot him. 
and off. Yeah, which, went. by the way, the AK-47s were pretty hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I took all the skin off of my hands. Off, off of my hands, yeah, <sighs> yeah, because I grabbed them by the barrel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay, yeah. so you you were able to deal with them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One more little aspect. Yeah. Just, so at this point, you get on the um, on the uh, line that's pulling you up, mm-hmm. and penetrate. it's just you penetrated. Thank mm-hmm. you. You and the one one together. Yeah. You're going up. You're the last two out because right. again, you know where everybody is. Right. You've checked the ground. The team is off. Yep. The one zero is the last person off the ground. That's right. That you did. As you're going up, at some point, you're just so beat. You almost passed out. It was like I when I when I looked up and I saw that we were going that we were on the penetrator and yeah. about halfway up, and the ship started lifting up out of the out of that ravine, and I felt we're we're going to make it. We're going to be safe, and I was like all the energy just <laughs> went out of my body and I slumped on it. It was I don't I don't know uh, how to how to explain it, but it was like I. It was, it was, I was done for the day. You know what I mean? It was, yeah. Yeah, it was time to punch out, I guess. And, uh, and uh, the, 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 one, the one. one one grabbed me and held on to me until we got up and they loaded us in and off we went. Fit, yeah, he loaded your fatigued ass into the helicopter. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. But even here, it's, it's like the way you describe what's happening to that helicopter. Yeah. Even when you approach it and you're on the ground, you can see metal fragments from it, rounds hitting it. Yeah, yeah, metal metal skin and 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 uh, stuff was falling off of it, and it was so riddled. And they were firing uh, B forty rockets up in up into the bottom of the helicopter, and it was just pushing it up. Right. Uh, and it it almost knocked you off the penetrator while you were in it. Yeah. So this it just is take like, hit after hit, you know. Yeah, because I remember you telling me this years ago. When they lifted off, you could feel the helicopter being thrust. That's right. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. And so uh, we got to at least pay homage to the uh, uh, the helicopter pilot here who was Lieutenant Colonel Jim Grady. Yeah. Okay. And then his PG uh, was PG. a power yeah. specialist, Alan Avery. Yeah. And he leaves his gun position and begins tending to the wounds. Right. Once clear of the jungle, the ship begins its ascent out of the valley. The flight mechanic, uh, Sergeant John Naysbaum, recovers his helmet and places it on my head. Co-pilot Major Don Olson tells me, we're on our way out of here, partner. Yeah. I'm cold. Yeah. <laughs> so you can imagine, you're, you're down in the jungle and you're hotter than hell, right? But you get up, and you've experienced this yourself. You get, you, whether you're riding strings or you're, uh, or oh. you're in a helicopter, yeah. you get up there, and all of a sudden, you're freezing to death. You, you go from a, over 100 <laughs> degrees to like 40 degrees or something like that, and it is, it's, it's a shock to your body. Yeah, and the, uh, the one thing you didn't cover in, in the book, too, uh, I thought that this helicopter, after it flew for a period of time, could go no further. Right. Had to do an emergency landing. Right. And so they had to further bring out more air assets to pick up right. the remainder of your team, all the Air Force personnel. Right. right. And in the end, a Cobra gunship came in. Right. And a Cobra gunship has door racks yeah, with they, straps. Yeah. So they have uh, uh, where they where they keep their 40-millimeter ammo right. and stuff in the nose. 
the, the doors opened up and they had put seat belts on those doors. <laughs> and so we just strapped in there and off we went. You and one one. Yeah. You on one side and yeah. one one on the yeah. other. Yeah. Oh my God. See, and that, that's even worse for being cold because that cobra oh, could fly fast. You, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So um, you do get back, but um, they took you directly back to the base. You went to Da Nang. Right. And you were there with the Air Force. Right. Overnight. Overnight. And their medics checked us out and, you know, patched everybody up and all that kind of stuff. And Even the Indige, huh? Even the Indige. Oh, yeah. They, they, they really wondered about that. What the? Who the hell are you guys, and what were you doing out there, right? Because those 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 Jolly Greens, their uh, their their mission was not to support anybody in Laos. Their mission was actually in the uh, in the China Sea to pick up uh, down pilots, and they had come in, uh, had been redirected, and they, none of those guys had ever ever flown in the jungle before. Really? Yeah, yeah. They weren't trained to do that. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And so um, at some point, I forget where in your book you, you got around to that, but um, there was a very emotional moment in time for you that night where you walked past or you saw the, the slogan. The motto. Yeah. The motto. Yeah, so that others may live. Indeed. And that day is the epitome of that moment, mm. of that motto and the men that stick by it. Yeah. I just can't imagine. So so uh, Pat Watkins, Madden told me several years later at uh, Reunion that, yeah, a nine-man team came back with six guys uh, after a battle like that. And that's highly unusual, but he said there were 19 airmen that lost their lives that day. 19? 19. And, he, and oh. he had it all figured out. So if you think about that, you know, there's, there's 21 guys against the odds that we were fighting that oh lost their lives. And, and most of it were guys who came in to support us and save us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, with the... Uh, for last couple of years, the Special Operations Association has compiled a list of 50 Green Berets mm -hmm. that are still technically listed as missing in action today mm -hmm. from the secret war. And then they've documented 83 airmen to date. Yeah. Which is just an indicator of just that um, commitment. Right. And again, the double-edged sword, nobody knew what we were doing or what the aviators were doing. Right. Or how they lost the lives of us. usually historic and uh, amazing uh, conditions on the ground. Yeah. So at some point uh, from Da Nang, you're, you and your 1-1 are rushed to Saigon to give a briefing, and you there's a long briefing where you give a brief back. 1-1 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. gives a little bit of a – he gives some details about being – having his face in the ground for today. Yeah. But what's, uh, what I wanted to take to was here just to indicate – the intelligence. This is, we're here, we're quoting. You were able to quote. Um, I think it's Colonel Chief Sog, who at that time was Steve Cavanaugh, right? And just an outstanding soldier, 
World War II, highly decorated soldier, mm-hmm. and he replaced Jack Singlob mm-hmm. as Chief Sog. And um, during that back brief, uh, this is the Colonel Kavanaugh speaking. Our best intelligence indicates there's approximately 2,000 miles of trail and between 12 to 15 Bintrans, which is like the one you ran into, right. 611. Right. Then thousands of anti-aircraft guns, 20 to 30,000 support soldiers, all defended by 40 to 60,000 security troops. That's what we need intel on. Are you ready to go back and take another whack? Well, hell yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So first, this is October of 68. Yeah. The numbers, because the numbers I'd always operated on, we knew there, we were told there were twenty five to 30,000 NVA there. Yeah. Okay, yeah. they're the combat. You don't think about the support troops. Right. But when there's a team on the ground, yeah. they're coming hunting. Yeah. Them boys get an AK, right. at least an SKS or something. That's right. Oh, my God. And... We were like maybe a month or two away from Johnson declaring the bombing halt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so with the bombing halt in Hanoi, North Vietnam, that brings more anti-aircraft. Yeah, yeah that into- gave them time to move trucks and, and uh, radar-controlled anti-aircraft guns, build platforms in trees, uh, build uh, radar traps for cubbies and stuff like that. Good God. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, with that, you're, you get everybody passed up. And you also had a little private get-together with some of the commanders there, which uh, I, I don't know if you got a picture or two, but you were able to exchange a green beret for yeah. one of their red berets. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, plus they, they gave us a certificate, which I still have. We're official members of the uh, Jolly Green Giants, and everybody on the team got that. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, how cool. Yeah. No, I never heard that side of yeah. the story. Oh, yeah, I've got pictures of that. And <laughs> yeah, they uh, they said that was an unusual operation for them. <laughs> <laughs> unusual indeed. Yeah. And so after... Um, By the way, I got to add one thing here. Yeah. Remember when we first started out? I said I went back because I hadn't seen the enemy on my first tour. Right. I saw the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is I yeah. saw the enemy. Those the bad news ugly is. suckers are going <laughs> to. Yeah, yeah. yeah those I, little guys with those big AK 47s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that, that being the first mission, there's only two, you know, about a year and. Almost two year, two more years to go. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Because by that time you had gone through the training group and everything. Yeah, yeah. But you know, uh, they also had. This is reflection at the end of that briefing. The uh, sergeant major asked you if there's anything else. And again, I just wanted to get that paint one more time. He said, "Do you have anything else to say?" And he said, "Yes, the God, the Jolly Green Giants, the model." painted on that sides of the ship so that others may live. Emotion wells up. Give me a minute, please. The thought of the JGs, the Vietnamese King Bees, and all the others who committed their lives to saving Alabama emotionally inundated my senses, overpowering my ability to stuff the emotions back down. My eyes flooded with tears. 
we were alive today due to you all. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And that's like you said, a total of 19. Yeah. Yeah. I never heard that never before. Yeah. That's that Pat figured that all out. Mandolin. He's the yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. So things get really interesting in a different kind of way now. You've been in South Vietnam returning from the hell of Laos. Mm-hmm. You've been oh. shot up a little bit. Yeah. You, you do your debrief. So this is the day, second day after you after you return from the mission, maybe yeah. October 6th or couple, 7th, couple 8th. days, yeah. yeah. Give or take a day. Yeah. Whatever. Saigon wanted a debrief, right? So you give them the debrief. Yeah. You and one-on-one get in there and do your thing. Yeah. And then afterwards, you thought, maybe I'll just go out and get a beer. Yeah, yeah. Who? I mean, who? Yes. <laughs> a beer sounded good around that time, right? Yeah. Things got really interesting. My hands are sore. <laughs> I beat the crap. Yeah. <laughs> And so I, it, during my first tour over there, I got to go to Saigon a couple of times and uh, went to a place called the King Bar. And uh, I, I used to love to play gin rummy when I was young. And they, they played gin rummy in there. They, they played a Saigon version of it. And you played for drinks. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And, and I, I was really a good gin rummy player. And they, and when I left after my first tour, they owed me a lot of drinks. <laughs> <laughs> and when I walked in the door, now I, well, I left in 66, I walked back in the door in 68, same owners, they said, black, they recognized me right <laughs> off, opened up the book on the bar and said, we owe, no. yeah, sit down with my girls, we got to get this off the books, right? <laughs> so we started playing gin rummy in the King Bar. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So you wind up going downtown. I forget if you had somebody riding with you on a little scooter that you borrowed from Madame Bick. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know how to get into this, but um, that night you go downtown just to, and things kind of got twisted. Could you just go into that just a little sure. bit? So because so, that is another yeah, it's the sidelight, but still fascinating yeah. moment. <laughs> so uh, so I'm thinking after that October 5th mission, we're going to go go downtown, have yeah. a few beers, and we're in a, sitting in a king bar, and there's um, playing gin rummy with these three uh, bar girls. And uh, this guy walks up, and uh, he's French. And he asked if he could join us in, in playing cards, right? Yeah. Well, he sits down, and we, we have this little exchange about uh, – you know, who are you and what do you do and all that kind of stuff. And it was, he, he's, he's asking me questions uh, because it's obvious I'm in special forces because of the, I'm in civilian clothes where the Marine Corps and the Army guys, are, they're not allowed to wear civilian clothes, right? Right. And so he's try, what he's doing, it turns out, he's trying to gather intel. He's a, a, Viet, uh, he's a Viet Cong sympathizer is what he was, all right? Well, during our debriefing that happened earlier, there were two CIA guys that sat in on that briefing. And uh, the CIA and, and SOG changed and NSA cha- exchanged a lot of intelligence about Cambodia and the DMZ. And, and they took and, all our wiretaps. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sure. And uh, so as I'm sitting there, those two guys that were in the briefing from the CIA walked in the door. And they walked, they, uh, the, the King Bar was 
kind of a, a, a narrow place. The bar, as you walked in the front door, the bar is on on, on the left. Le- on the left. Long. And there was a long, long kind of alleyway kind of thing. And then there were booths on, <laughs> on, the, on the right-hand side. I've been there. Yeah, is that right? <laughs> and then in the back was 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 the, the John, right? I didn't get there. That, well, I shouldn't say John, should I? That's so okay. That, that's, so so <laughs> the men's room, the whatever it's called. And, uh, and then there was a back door that went out into the alley. Well, those, those two guys kind of walked past where I was playing cards with these guys and they looked down and they went in to the men's room and a couple like less than a minute later he the French guy stands up and he goes said I gotta go right so he goes into the men's room I'm thinking yeah I don't think anything about that right sure and we play a hand or so and I've got it I've got to go to the men's room so I went to go into the men's room and the door's blocked. I can't, I can't get the door open. I went, okay, I'll just go out into the back alley. Which, you know, it's, it, there's a, you open the door and there's a wall there. And then this alley is very narrow, like, like three feet wide. That kind of goes along the back of these buildings. So I just kind of went down a little bit and I'm taking a leak and the back door opens up and I look down as there's a little light comes out of the back door and I'm pissing on some guy's body. Oh. Yeah. And uh, this guy runs runs the other way and goes over the wall and disappears, right? Well, I went, what the hell? Well, it's getting close to curfew time. And uh, one of the one of the uh, women that was I was playing uh, cards with invites me uh, to go to Mama Bix to spend the night. So I said, okay, where's Bix? It's, it's go out on the... Uh, and again, you knew a little bit about her from your first tour of duty? No, no. No, no okay. No, no, I just met her that <laughs> night. They called her Bucky because of her teeth. And, uh, and so I, I go out on the street, make a right, and I find the building, and I start to go up into the building. Or um, I, I enter the building, and I'm going down this hallway, and the hallway... It's like uh, a monkey trap. It gets narrower and narrower and narrower because there's a stairway coming down that goes up to the second floor, and then it's got this jog, So you and then you go around and you get on a stairway, right? Well, I get to the jog, and there's, it's really, it's like something out of a scary movie. It's, there's hardly any light or anything. And as I went to go around to go up the stairs, there's a door there, which is an apartment door, and, and there was a sign on the door. Uh, it was just a piece of paper with a name on it, you know, uh, Sean Flynn, right? And I'm thinking, and I kind of went Sean Flynn. It's probably Errol Flynn's son, <laughs> <laughs> right? And I, I start to go up the stairs, and that door opened up, and this woman says, "You, special forces, right? Yeah." Come here, come here, come here. Well, I go in there, and one of those CIA guys is in there, Whoa. and he's wounded. And and I said, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah. Thought, you know what? What the hell? Yeah. And he says, I need your help. You know, and he and he tells me that uh, the French. That's how I learned the French guy was a sympathizer. And he says he's he's going to uh, leave Saigon and go to Benoit, and he's got a load of guns that he's going to deliver in 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 De Ben Juan and I need your help stopping him. So Bick says, 
I've got a, a motorcycle out back that you can ride, right? And, and so the CIA guy says, you, you drive and I'll shoot. And he says, he's gonna be in a car and he's over on High Batrong Street. And he said, all I need you to do is to drive up next to it. He said, and I'll grease the guy. And he said, we'll, we'll go back and you can go upstairs, right? Easy, easy, easy stuff, right? Easy. So we go out there and there's this Vespa, right? And we and we get on the you know we we get on this thing and we drive up next to this car and he shoots this guy. Well, there's another guy in the car. The driver. Yeah. And as we, as I try to speed away, the driver shoots the You're guy. Speeding on a Vespa. Yeah. Pop, 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 <laughs> right. With two guys on it, if you can imagine. So, so he he shoots the CIA guy and we get out onto Ibatron, uh, uh, which I think was what's called the Street of Flowers, and they had. Uh, Literally, uh, that's where flower vendors sold sold all the flowers and stuff. So there was, they had all these uh, tables and stuff, and uh, usually cloth hanging over the front of them. And so we we kind of fall over next to one of these things, and and the guy dies. No. So I slid him underneath of one of those things, and I rode the scooter back to Bix, and it's <laughs> it, it, thinking, oh shit, it's curfew time, and. I, Quan Khan's gonna arrest my ass and throw me in jail, right? And I get back there and pull pull up behind her to go upstairs and spend the night with Bucky. Well, it, it, the the guy that I was peeing on outside of uh, the bar turned out to be the other CIA guy that no. the French guy had shot in the head, and uh, yeah, so they they had a tussle in there, and I kind of inadvertently stumbled into it. And I'm and I'm and I'm and I'm thinking here I am I'm I'm up in this whorehouse with. You know, and I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, is it <laughs> <laughs> supposed know, to get a little slack? This after is a not, yeah, come on. <laughs> I came for a beer and a game of cards, you know? <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> oh, my word. So that's, yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine. I, me either, as, far as, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And then the question was, did you ever really meet Sean Flynn, who was the son of he Errol Flynn? He actually turned out to be Errol Flynn's son, yeah. So, so, uh, uh, but even there was a little spinoff at the end, because not too far away, he met his demise. Yeah, yeah. so he, he wasn't home. Uh, he had, uh, you know, there was all kind of camera bodies, and he, he, he went out with the Marines a lot and did a lot of photographs of Marine troops in combat, and they were... Mm-hmm. They were Posted up on the walls and of his room and stuff, and it it was interesting. It was uh, you know interesting what he was. As a fellow artist, you appreciated what he did. Yeah, he had took good pictures. So, <laughs> so uh, it, it turned out that at the time that I was experiencing that little thing, he was in Cambodia with with another reporter and got captured by the uh, uh, Khmer Rouge. Yeah, the Khmer Rouge, and they executed them in in, uh, Cambodia. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. So it's just stuff. It's a small world, you know. Oh, no no question about it. Yeah. You just never know. No, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) So from a beer... Going along yeah. with two CIA uh, yeah. agents to get whacked, and the beer wasn't that good. You you, you remember beer thirty three, right? Oof, that's Bob why. I yeah. yeah, that's why I drank Coke. Yeah. Oh, don't do that. You don't drink Coke. Never drink Coke in South Vietnam. Never, <laughs> ever. Do you don't remember House Twenty Two? If it was only well, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, did you? Oh God, that's disgusting, John. <laughs> 
I only drank it from this can. I didn't. You're, you're bullshit. <laughs> Not used. <laughs> they didn't have cans. <laughs> they had a Coke bottling plate. Did you read that? You know what we're talking about? Oh, my God. Uh, you want well, me to tell that story? Yeah, let's just go ahead. Uh, uh, okay. We'll just jump right into the old Coca-Cola story of Chapter 13. Is that what it is? It I is, sir. I'm yeah. turning. I'm just following you right along here. Yeah, oh, okay. So, so. <laughs> we land. I'm, I'm back on my second tour, right? And we, we, we hit in a trang, and you go through a, a, an acclimatization period, right? And you get orders. You go to SOG, and so you get on a plane, and you 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 land at this air base and they take us to a safe house called House 22 that was run by SOG and that's where you got your initial briefing or I did anyway, right? With, with a bunch of other guys. And uh, uh, on, this, on, on the second floor, on, on the first floor, there's like a, a, a big briefing room and a, and, a, and a bar and all this. It's special forces so there's gotta be a bar, right? And at so there, there, there's a bar and they and really great food in that place, right? The second, oh, yeah. second floor is full <clears> of bunk <throat> beds and and whores, right? And and uh, <laughs> I'm up there. I've never been partial to uh, sleeping with those 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 kind of women. So so I'm trying to sleep, and these women are going from bunk to bunk to bunk to bunk to bunk, right? And and there's guys coming out of the field. And uh, and they're coming there to do their business with the girls and stuff like that. And finally, I just go, God, God, it's it's like hotter than hell. It's like over a hundred degrees, right? So I think I'm gonna go take a shower. Well, the shower had like I don't know four, six shower heads in. It was like one of those big bay kind of things, right? <laughs> and uh, went into the shower, and over in the corner of the shower are cases of bottled Coca-Cola. Sitting in a shower, I, I walked in. I looked down. I go, "What in the hell is what? What is this?" Well, one of the prostitutes comes in, uncorks, shakes up the bottle, uncorks it, sticks it up her vagina, and douches with it. I have not ever drank another Coca-Cola <laughs> since the time that happened, <laughs> and never. I know what it's used for. It's a meat tenderizer, <laughs> and and it's a douche. <laughs> And maybe not in that order if you're in yeah, South Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, hello. <laughs> but I wanted, uh, while we're having so much fun here. Yeah. Um, you're going to cut this part out, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. We'll depend on the censors on that. <laughs> but I wanted to, to go to another chapter where um, one of the, one of the uh, moments of your first tour of duty that led to an enhancement of the blackjack legend within Sog Annals mm. was the creative way that you approached developing the perfect ambush for Sog Recon Team. Yeah. And the question was, uh, because, you know, teams down south, had one team in particular had very much success at, at gaining, capturing POWs, enemy POWs. Right. That's the best source of intelligence is Enemy POW. Right. Do you know why they were successful? Oh, tell me why. Because we wore them out up north, <laughs> and they were so tired when they got down south, they practically gave up to those guys. Damn near, huh? That's it. Okay. <laughs> you guys in CCS and CCC hear that? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to hear about that yeah, one. I know. I can hear it coming. That's why I'm never going to another reunion. <laughs> Indeed. So um, <clears throat> I wanted to, to turn to... 
the next ch- another chapter, which I think is, let me just see, be, to be completely accurate, um, <laughs> I'm turning to chapter number eight, Snuff and Snatch. Mm-hmm. And the snatch being a POW snatch. Yes, yeah, yes. As opposed to yeah, House 22. Discussion yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Coke and douching and things. Right. <laughs> so at some point, uh, the question arose, how can we get a ambush set up on a kill zone? So the idea being a recon team or a hatchet force to be on a team has a trail and have claymores that would kill everything. Right. But the question was, in the center would have one space right. that could knock out the person. Just from the concussion from between the two claymores. Right. That was the common thinking of the time, yeah. Indeed. And so that common thinking whirled around in the creative mind of Lynn and Black Jr. You thought about a unique way to do that. Right. And so I just wanted to uh, turn to a, uh, to a key section of this <laughs> chapter because of... You had, first of all, maybe if I'm looking for, as I'm fumbling for the page here, you could talk a little bit about what started you on this and how you began to approach it. So, so ops kind of said we need to we need to get some POWs. Ops being S three of FOB one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. And we we need to focus a little on getting some POWs. You know, other other than what we did in Ashow, where we were flying back from a mission and there was a NVA soldier down there waving his arms. <laughs> I give up. I give up. Right. Yeah, which that actually happened. So, Is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That Where was, was that? that uh, who would? Oh God, I'm gonna forget the. I'm gonna forget his name. He's gonna kill me for this. Uh, who's the medic that I took out on his one and only mission? Uh, oh, Robert. Yes. Shippen. Yeah. Robert, Robert Shippen. Shippen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And actually, actually, Shippen saw the guy down down in Ashwood, you know, wanting to chew hoy, <laughs> and so we landed and picked him up and took him back. We thought. At the time, that he wasn't an NBA, we thought he was like uh, a, a, a South Vietnamese soldier who had uh-huh. who'd somehow gotten isolated. Turned out he was an NBA, and I got my butt chewed over that for not uh, securing the guy in a helicopter because he had <laughs> access to our weapons and all of that stuff. Oh, that dummy! So uh, mean, not him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so. So, so, so what happened was he said, and so Ops explained, you know, this whole thing with the two claymores and the concussion and all that crap, right? Yeah, yeah. And all it, and and that every almost every time they tried this, everybody got killed and all that stuff. <laughs> so I, he said, start thinking about this. So I started thinking about it, and I said, okay. So I, I we had this wonderful thing called C four, a plastic explosive. That, that's it. Indeed, and it 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 uh, it came in seventy five pound crates, and uh, there were blocks of C four that were two inches by two inches by twelve inches, and they had uh, they were wrapped in plastic, and they had holes in either end that you could put blasting caps. And so, I strung uh, a line of of uh, of C four. I went, went it took a case, went out on the range, uh, <laughs> strung a line of, of C four with uh, eight foot sections of, of detonation cord. <laughs> And uh, I took a hand generator, and I got X amount of distance from it, and I blew, blew it off, and <laughs> the wind and all that kind of stuff went over me. I thought, okay, that's step one. So I rigged it up again, and I took another 10 or so steps forward, and I blew it <laughs> off again. And, and, it, and it, this happened a couple times until finally it knocked me down. I went, okay, we're almost there. We're not, you know, 
we got because I got to find out how to just knock these guys out, right? Right. That's a that's a critical that, part. That, that's the you know. Yeah. And nobody else wanted to participate in this. I can't understand why. Why? I just, <laughs> no sense of adventure. So 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 I finally when I woke up. I'd been out there a while, and I kind of got in a Jeep, and I drove back to camp. And evidently, it had been like a couple of days that I'd been laying out on the range. <laughs> I figured, well, that shit works. I know, <laughs> I know how far that, how far I need to be away, you know. So I know, I now know how to rig it, right? So I kind of had to go to the medics because I had a concussion. And, it, and I had a really bad headache for a couple of weeks, and then it was finally time to run the mission, right? So Alabama goes out, and we, we set this thing up on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Now, there's a difference between working on a flat firing range and working on that trail, which is flat. I'm thinking that, you know, this is logical, right? Yeah. The trail's flat. And then there was this rise, you know, like there was a ditch on the side of the trail, and then this berm, and then this hill with a lot of foliage on it, right? So we hide, we rig it up along the side of where that berm was, and go up and we hide in there, and about somewhere between 50 and 100 guys come walking by, and I tor torched that off, <laughs> and uh, it blew all their legs off. <laughs> There were legs everywhere. <laughs> and what happens was, you know what a shape charge is? Oh, yeah. Well, I, that berm had created, oh, you know, no. I, I'm not that smart, right? And what I did— Oh, you're a weapons guy. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. And you know how, what they're like. And I had created this perfect shape charge that just— <laughs> and. Well, so much for the POW. I mean, we 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 got a lot of patches and papers and stuff like that. Did you get anything for bringing back half oh, an no, NBA? No, 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 no. So, so I felt really bad about that, right? I did because I'd let ops down. You know, oh, we indeed. didn't get the POW. We got a lot of intel, but didn't get the POW. In it. And I had to go report out on this in Saigon. It's another debriefing, right? So I get done in Saigon. And I'm down in the King Bar. Yeah. Oh, right? again. Again. <laughs> and I'm and I'm and I'm and I'm and I'm sitting there, having a drink. This is gonna sound bad. It is, Betsy. That's why yeah. we're here. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> but some South Vietnamese soldier who had lost his legs and was on one of these little dollies. Oh yeah. And they used to go along the street and sell yeah. things. Yeah. Came into the bar and I looked down and I started laughing. <laughs> oh, no. I couldn't it, even it just, then. I wasn't PC. It, it all came out. It, it just, I, it just, it was like, oh my god, you know. <laughs> okay, there's some black humor and no pun intended. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you ever try it again? No, no. Because I but know we, we carried what, that for a couple we months. Did, what we, well, do you remember using instant foxhole? Remember that stuff? No, you know what? I, I I know nothing. You know? Oh yeah. Oh, you're one of those guys. Okay. So, instant foxhole was a was an ammonia based chemical that you uh, you could pour a capful of it. We carried it in canteens, mm -hmm. and you poured poured it in a cap, and you poured it on the ground, and stuck a 
stuck a blasting cap <clears> in it and set it off, and it would dig a foxhole for you about six feet deep. Okay. Get out. No. How many feet? About six feet. You could jump in it and be <laughs> secure. It depended on the, yeah. you know, how soft that soil was. But it, it was that's what it was called, in, instant foxhole. So I figured, aha. What a great idea, right? So I poured about 30 feet of that along the trail, tried that. That doesn't work either, I want to tell you. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's all just for fun. Indeed. Yeah. So what, why You know, why we were a bunch work? of spec fours unsupervised. There were uh, that's why there's less risk aversion these days. Yeah, you know, I heard that. I, do, I just don't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Well, so you don't want to talk about what happened when you did blow that off for 30 feet? Nobody survived that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, moving right along. Um, I... The apricots in the air and Smokey the Bear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, there's something about just the headline alone that I loved it and was drawn to it. But um, um, <clears throat> I don't know. It's just that story was just one more of your little sidebars here. But mm-hmm. if you want to get into the apricots and talking a little bit, or should we just go? To a more, getting back to the more serious side of SOG, we're just having it's a little bit too much fun here, I think. Um, but there was a chapter later um, on Elder Sun, mm-hmm. which was deadly serious. And uh, we learned, again, the hard way just how serious all that was. Um, and this is chapter 12, again, to all, anybody, Whiskey Foxtrot Tango is the book we're on we're talking to the author today and um that if you could just maybe just give us a little bit of background first on what the eldest son mission was well the uh the basically the eldest son which which uh that's the common name that everybody knows today but it had a lot of different names oh yeah yeah uh, uh, and they changed it regularly just to confuse people but they used to give us uh, AK-47 ammunition that had been doctored that if you fired it uh, would blow up the receiver and the gun. They also gave us AK, and we would, when we get in contact, we'd sprinkle, you know, we'd, we'd have an AK-47 magazine with one of those rounds in it, and we'd drop it during, during a battle, right. hoping that the NVA would pick it up. And, and, and the, whole, the whole idea of it was to give them the impression the NVA, the enemy, uh, that their weapons weren't uh, of high quality. That you know, it was a psychological operation. We did the, the not just AK-47, but uh, mortar rounds and any 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 kind of stuff that they had. We if we'd also build cache sites, phony cache sites along the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Did you actually do that? Yeah. Did I do that? No. no. But I but, know guys who did. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and it never really ever worked out all that well. I I don't know how it could, but but the, but the uh, but the eldest son stuff did work clearly. It clearly did, especially the AK forty seven stuff. We'd also have uh, weapons 
like AK-47s, SKX, SKSs, and Easy RPGs for you to say. that the chambers had been cracked on. So when they fired, they would they'd blow up. Okay, and we'd leave them out also. Uh, I did that several times. Uh, so that yeah, they were psychological operations, uh, kind of like um, what the heck did we call that? Uh, do you remember Zolanakis, the guy from NSA? Do you yes. remember him? Yeah. Well, he. Oh, we can get into that later. Could you dealt with him? Yeah. Could we have the story that's been told by the Frenchman? Yeah. And and, and with I, him and Gunther Wald with yeah. the ST Virginia. Right. With Zolanakis. Yeah. And you had a separate incident, which I never knew about right. until a couple of years ago at one right. of the reunions. You go, oh yeah, we knew him. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's the guy that taught wiretaps and gave us special stuff. Oh yeah. wow, yeah. yeah. So um, two in, one out missions, all that. Oh, is that right? Stay behind missions. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, sure. Well, I wanted to get to this particular eldest son, and this is this is still in that early time frame of this, mm-hmm. of '68, which 1968 in the Vietnam War was the highest casualty rate, <clears throat> and also for SOG the highest casualty rate, mm-hmm. and it testified particularly once Lyndon Johnson has ceased the bombing, more personnel, more anti-aircraft, et cetera, came down the trail. And again, I just wanted to take a tip to your writing skills here. At the beginning of this chapter, sometimes you have little quotes and things. <clears throat> and here, um, you're, you're talking, before you get into the actual story, uh, which is chapter 12, Eldest Son. I'm not feeling well today. I fought NVA all night in my sleep. I'm more tired than when I went to bed. Man, I really got beat to shit fighting out on those rocks. I'm bruised from head to toe. Here comes Watkins. <laughs> but that's like, that's just, it's a side of the combat that we never hear about. Right, right. But to start the chapter that way. Yeah. Well, that, like you said, at the beginning of each one of those chapters, yeah. what, one of the things that I, I was trying to do, and, I, and I, after rereading the book again uh, um, a couple of weeks ago, because I haven't read it since I wrote it, right? Right. Uh, I was trying to put news headlines from home because there was a huge anti-war movement going on in the States. Right. And I don't know how your family was whether they were supportive or not, but mine wasn't, okay? Well, that had an effect on the troops. Sure. And so I was trying to, <clears throat> I was, I was trying to infuse, here's what's going on at home, and you're supposed, this is duty, honor, country stuff, right? Right, when you When you go into the military? Well, the country isn't supporting you, okay? Is the impression the press gave us. Yeah. Yeah, and so... That's the purpose of the headlines at the sure. beginning of each I chapter. I like that better than what I did. Because I remember we came back from a target in November of 68. Barely got out. In fact, there was one where we had the boot touch and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a Newsweek time, one of those. Mm-hmm. And there's a front page. Like 150, 500,000 people. Anti-war. I'm going, yeah. WTF? Yeah, exactly. Have you, you haven't talked to the Congress I just talked to. Yeah, no kidding. And, of course, nobody talks about that there was some sort of communist infiltration at some levels that got a lot of students motivated yeah. down that trail. Yeah. Without ever really meeting a real socialist or a communist who's, they wanted right. to control your life. Yeah. 
Exactly. They don't like no First Amendment or anything <laughs> yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but going into your chapter, we start off on a very serious note. My heart in my throat, emotions high. No. Oh, God. Not Harkness. MIA? When? And again, for our, for our viewers and, and listeners, um, Harkness was flying Covey, just one of our stud Air Force Covey yeah. pilots. Yeah. And numerous times he was there with you that day, flying Watkins and, and yeah. Spider over and over, sortie yeah. after sortie. Greg Harkness, yeah. Absolutely. And so going into your book, on the 26th of November, he's MIA in Oscar 8, which, by the way, was the target of ST Alabama that day on October 5th. Mm-hmm. And as you so adequately call it, goddamn Oscar 8. I can't believe it. He joked about wanting to build a house and settle down to farm the plateau we rescued Alabama from in early October. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that place has claimed more men than any other piece of ground in Laos. Pat Watkins is having difficulty holding back his emotions. The 26th, here we are on the brink of peace, the war being over. The Vietnamese government has agreed to join the Paris peace talks. The end is near. What happened, I ask? Harkness and First Lieutenant by the name of Shepard, Alan Shepard, the son of the astronaut? He was the observer. They headed out to do some work doesn't sound like a SOG mission. It wasn't. It was one of those steel, tiger, aerial road, and trail interdiction things they do. The job was to conduct a pre-dawn VR, visual reconnaissance, looking for truck traffic on highways 922, 219, and 92. The two of them flew out of Da Nang at 0300 hours, headed west to the target area. The Airborne Battlefield Command and Control Center said Covey 265, which was um, Harkness aircraft. And uh, so that aircraft established radio contact once they were over the AO, and the order to initiate their mission was given. Pat shifts his eyes away from me. The word is they got caught in a flak trap. Harkness is going is without question the finest Covey pilot I've ever flown with, he mourns. If it weren't for Captain Greg Harkness, you or I wouldn't be standing here today, buddy. I'm going over to the Covey compound in Da Nang, and we'll be back in a couple days. Have one for me. So the story goes on, losing him, but then a couple days later, um, there is another eldest son insertion planned put into place and your book you talk about it forming up but it also just gives the seriousness of the day I think the one that we talk about in the book happened on November 30th 1968 but it wasn't a day before that you uh, Tim Schaaf John Peters Rick Howard had attempted had volunteered to pull an eldest son mission, right, with a king bee, right. So they, you would load it up with the NBA, uh, I mean NBA enemy, that's, 
equipment and, and rounds right. designed to explode when right. they use it. Right. And that mission, you guys were going to go do it. So right. you, you board up. They got pictures of you yeah. and the guys in the chopper heading yeah. to the target. At some point, whiskey x-ray, bad weather. Yep. You turn around and come back. So November 30th, a different group volunteers for the target. Yep. And um, I forget how we get into the story, but you're out there talking to one of the people about that mission. You're missing the day before, and they're talking about, oh, there's another one today. So and you ask Casley, hey, who goes on this one? Well, the one zero is Major Samuel K. Tomey. First Lieutenant, Raymond C. Stacks. Spec 5, Richard A. Fitz. Sergeant, Arthur E. Bader. Spec 4, Gary LeBone. Staff Sergeant, Klaus D. Schultz. And Spec 4, Michael Main, along with the Vietnamese helicopter pilots. So essentially, they went out. They were en route to the target. And do you remember the detail? Because you were, were you still at the launch site when that went down? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And what happened? Well, we, we got, we all got on board, and there were two choppers going out to bright light those guys, and uh, we got turned back due to weather. And they had launched from Mylock, Kong Tree. Everybody was trying to bright light that area out in Ashow to get the, you know, t- to see if there were any bodies or anything like right. that. And basically what happened is they were flying out to Ashow to do the, to do the insertion, and they got hit by a rocket, and uh, the, their their ship was uh, uh, they they were going to build a cache is what they were going to do, and it was full of the ship was full of mortar rounds, and that rocket ignited those mortar rounds and just Whoa. blew them all to hell. Yeah, and so we were we were trying to everybody was trying to get out there to see if we could recover bodies and stuff, and or any, see if there was any survivors and. No, nobody could get there. The weather closed in. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and at that time, our team was down TDY. Yeah. In fact, we were on a mission. Yeah, it was very yeah. frustrating. Oh you know, yeah. When when you go to try to do that, and 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 Mother Nature screws with you. I mean, the NVA is ba- NVA is bad enough, but when Mother Nature becomes a bitch, you you just kind of. <laughs> <laughs> you want to punch somebody in the nose. Well, yeah, and we had that similar experience when I got back to Vietnam on my second tour. Um, on November 3rd, RT Maryland was wiped out. Mm-hmm. The Americans were, not the indige. Mm-hmm. Then seven days later, it was at uh, STS, or Oregon, I'm sorry, Oregon, with uh, Stuber and, um, oh, God. Anyways, Darren, they got hit. Yeah. Overrun. Right. And then we were going to try to run a bite light. We couldn't. Right. And at some point, I think you were able to get on the ground like a couple weeks later. Yeah. I had gone to Saigon. You right. put together a bright light. Right. Yeah. We, we went out there to their last known position and walked around out there for half a day searching. Just, and we, we could find no blood, uh, no equipment. There was, it was like a pristine area. Really? Yeah, and we, we couldn't find anything. Wow. So that's another one of those situations where you're delayed by Mother Nature. Yeah. Then there's rain. That's that right. Even if you go into the LZ, yeah. who knows what was there. That's right. And 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 true to form, those two, uh, I really apologize for the second name, drawing a mental blank on at this time, but 
Subaru was the other team member. Yeah. And uh, they are two of the 50 Green Berets today that still remain on the MIA list yeah. from the Secret War. Yeah. But, you know, you mentioned that name, Zolanakis. Zolanakis, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would just love to get back to your side because this is one I haven't heard. And talk a little bit about you and him or whatever the yet story was because the first story was he had come in and trained you all, which, again, this happened when I was back at Fort Devens. Yeah. I left, but you were there when right. the French was on your team. Right. You guys were just running some outstanding missions. Right. So he trained up uh, <clears throat> myself, uh, Dave Maurer. And, uh, he was and from a, RT, Louisiana. Yep, and a, and, a, and a couple other one zeros on, on wiretap equipment, right? Well, and this was down in Da Nang when this happened. Oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah you're at CCN now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you remember at Fubai, the, the wiretap equipment came in a suitcase. I mean, a big metal suitcase. I mean, it was a humongous damn thing with a battery life of about two hours right it, and and the, and the thing weighed like 100 pounds i swear to god no, so that we didn't do any wiretaps using that see and don't let me interrupt you for a second yeah. because the one that we carried a couple times was just a cassette player it was a panasonic cassette player yeah okay right <laughs> and so basically there were uh you, you want me to go into any of the detail oh yeah okay, i love so, it so please so this is what so, our viewers love oh yeah <laughs> the minutiae yeah. the detail yeah. So, so this we had the Panasonic uh, uh, cassette that uh, you could hook up a PRC. It, it had a battery pack to it that was regular cassette player stuff that would play for a couple hours. But it had a, a, a <laughs> you could hook up a PRC twenty five battery right, to okay. it, and and the, and the thing would would run for like twenty hours. Okay. Yeah. And later on, they even improved the battery, the battery pack for it, uh, and it would run for days. Uh, and and they oh, also, is that right? Yeah. They they then then what they did further improvements were that they put uh, something in it that would it would actually transmit. Really? Yeah. So they gave us these little uh, uh, transmitters that we would <clears> go <throat> out and place in the ground that uh, we'd bury them. And they had like a blade of grass antenna, so you couldn't tell when you were right. walking around, right? And so we'd salt these things up as high as we could, so you know, to get the signal sure. out of the jungle, right? And uh, the and and then the wiretaps themselves. So there's three basic kind of wiretaps that 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 you can do. Uh, the uh, the first one, which I'll explain, is one we never we never used. Uh, and the reason for that, it, it 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 just doesn't work in the in the jungle. It's an it's an electromagnetic uh, tap that uh, it's got the wires coming off of it, and it opens up. And where you've got a coax cable with several communication lines going in it, right? You clip this thing on the outside, and it will collect all of the information from each one of those communication sources and feed it back. To a computer, which they sort out the communications, and they can gather all of all the information. This is 1969. This is ni 1969, right? Yeah. And 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 they could they'd sort all that stuff out. Well, so what we and and that's called a soft tap. Okay. Okay. Electromagnetic soft tap. Then there were hard taps, and the and the the most primary basic tap was just the wire 
which looked like a cob piece of cobweb, but had a tensile strength of about 100 pounds, okay? Came on a spool, like a, like a bobbin your mother used in her sewing machine. Yeah, right? yeah. And the, oh, here, let me explain the communication lines. First of all, Please. when you say wiretap, most people <laughs> think that you're gonna have to climb up a pole. Well, we did with Sal okay. on one mission. Well, all the wire communication lines I saw, yeah. the, the poles were no higher than six feet. Right. They had a they had a cross arm on them. There were no insulators. There were just two wooden pegs on right. either side. That's right. Ours were. They weren't yeah. that tall. You're yeah. right. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. And <clears throat> and the and the wires weren't shielded in any way. Uh, the the um, the wire was coated like, I'm going to say, like a shellac kind of material yeah. that you take a piece of sandpaper or a knife and you scrape scrape off that stuff and you wrap this wire around it and then you run that, and you, you do that where, where you've got the pole right. and the wire's coming out about five feet away. You install that tap, you spin it along and you can't see it. Okay, if you're just casually walking. Yeah, by. in our case, Sal would even have it so when he brought the wire down, That's what, so you, he so would cover it with mud so people couldn't see it from the trail. Well, they had an improvement on that. Really? Yeah, you, you, you take that wire, which is that bobbin, and yeah, you, yeah. we put it into a device that, that looks like a, a, a box cutter, and you insert the blade into the pole, and you just run that Ooh. blade down, and it lays that wire into the pole and that and the, and the wood just covers that all up and you run it down and and you you, you put your panasonic recorder or whatever device you were using <laughs> yeah. in there right yeah and then you put out your your, your transmission stuff uh the the other the other kind of wiretap uh which we rarely use because we never saw shielded wire was it it was a probe that if uh, like your housing wire today has a plastic yeah, coating on it. It had like a sharp end. It would yeah, it had a sharp in. end. And so you insert I remember it. those. Yeah, yeah, and then you wrap it around. Yeah. And then you, you that's that's how you do that tap. So so those are the three basic taps and, and the equipment and all of this kind of stuff. So Zolanakis shows up. He trains us on this stuff. We get ready to go out on this mission. And I gave, this was a multi-day mission, supposedly, right? Uh-huh. And uh, everybody's, you're going in heavy. So the wiretap gear winds up in one of the indige rucksacks. Okay, because, <laughs> right. right? And so it comes time, we, we go out, and, and he had it in his rucksack, like for a couple of days in his hooch, you know, over in where the indige slept. And at, you could hear him playing cassette tapes on, <laughs> on these things right and i'm going oh god i wish these guys wouldn't do this shit you know look this is this is a really this is a specialized piece of equipment stop it knock that shit off right <laughs> so we get out in the field we do this wire tip wire wiretap and we, and we we install it and we go off and we sit in the bushes and we watch this guy who checks the lines walk walk by a couple times once up one back and all this kind of stuff and finally after a couple hours we go out we deinstall the wiretap we take it back and i you know i I handed the tape to the Intel guys, and they shipped it off to Saigon. Yeah. Next thing I know, I'm called into the company commander's office, and he said, you're fired. I said, what? Kumbiek? Yeah. He said, and I'm putting you on special assignment. I'm sending your dumb ass to 
caisson up on the mountain, right? Right. They yeah. put a new radio relay site the, yeah. that they're doing with the NSA yeah. through ASA. Yeah, and he said, for the rest of your tour, that's where you're going to be, right? You are friggin' fire. <laughs> and Idaho team, we're, we're probably going to disband Idaho. Right? Oh, my God. Right? Yeah. So I'm up on up on caisson, and I'm up there for like a week or so. That long? Oh, yeah. It was it was a while. And I'm thinking, Jesus, what what in the hell, what in the hell happened, right? Yeah. So finally, one day, this king bee comes in, and I'm thinking, it's a supply sock chopper, and the king bee lands, and there's one of the there's this NCO in the door of the king bee, and he looks at me, and he comes here, he says, get your, get, get your get your gear and get on the king bee, right? So I go back to camp, and. I can't remember who the camp commander was at the time, and he said, uh, Iceland may have still been CEO. Your, your butt has just been saved. And I said, what? <laughs> yeah, he said, uh, we sent Dave Maurer out to do your job, and Dave Maurer came back, and he said, you've been exonerated. And I go, what the hell? So I find out that what happened was the NVA from communication bunker to communications bunker, they had loudspeakers outside because the combo bunkers were in the bin trams, right? Right. The rest sites. And they had these loudspeakers, and they were playing Beatles music for 2,000 miles down the Ho Chi Minh Trail. No. Yeah, and the, and the NVA are listening to the Beatles, and that's what I recorded on this wiretap, right? <laughs> And they thought, and I thought they Saigon thought, and I thought that our you know the team had screwed up. Well, Mauer yeah. sat there with a set of headphones and went, "Hey, it's a bad day's night," you know. It's, uh, <laughs> and so he came back and said, "Hey, here's what these guys are doing, right?" And that's how we came back together as a team. Oh my God, the Beatles of all the things. Beatles. It was their fault. <laughs> now. Uh, speaking of Zolanakis, one of the things that we covered, uh, we did a story with the Frenchman and Gunther Wald when they were on uh, uh, RT Virginia yeah. in 69. They ran the mission in to blow up one of the fuel dumps. Yeah. Now, again, I never knew that you may have done something like that. Yeah. Until we were at a reunion like four or five years ago. <laughs> right, right. On our third or fourth bottle of wine, yeah. And somehow yeah. the top because it's, and you said and the Frenchman goes, yeah, we did. Blah, blah, blah. I remember that one. You go, yeah, we did one of those. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> Could you tell me a little bit about yeah. blowing up the NBA so, fuel so, dump? So 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 In what? Your spare time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so what 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 happened was Laterno when he was on Louisiana, Virginia, Virginia. Excuse yeah. me. That's all right. They. They, they got the T wall was the ones you're exactly there. and they and they got down to this river and what they observed was uh, oil and gas drums floating 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 down this river and that's how they were they were, you know rather than on the tra- the the trail was being heavily bombed at the time sure and and they weren't able to get gas and oil for their trucks and they're starting the fuel lines yeah which we did and they were trying on. we we heard they were trying to build a fuel line. But they were actually floating this stuff down this river right. and then collecting it and, and then walking it through the jungle on bikes and stuff, right? So Zolanakis shows up and, and he says, he says we, we have to get back out there and we have to interdict this, this river supply line. And, and we're going, well, how, you know, you're thinking, 
There's a lot of fuel drums and stuff going down. How the hell are you going to interdict? A team isn't going to do that. And he goes, oh, yeah, we're going to. He says, I'm going to show you how we're going to do it. So he, he had this device that was made out of uh, steel. It was a, a steel tube with a brass ring on it that you could set uh, eight hours, 24 hours a week. 30 days, that right? That long. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So this is brass right. on, on a steel with this indicator thing on the top of it. So it's it, like right? a tubular device, but it's loaded with explosives with the timer on yeah, the top. Yeah, yeah. And you can install that where? Yeah, so so the, the other end of it had a bung on it, which is what you unscrew on a barrel, right? Like an oil drum, uh, a 55 like an oil gallon. Drum, right, so he gave us a bung wrench. <laughs> and and each each one of us, there, we went in with twelve guys, and each one of us carried ten. Really, each one of us carried ten of these things. Whoa! And and we waded out in into that. We found a place uh, in a deep valley where we knew nobody We're was. We're deep be. in Laos now. Yeah, yeah. Well, we went in. We actually went to Udorn, Thailand, and came in on Jolly Green and walked twenty miles to get there. It took us three days to get to get oh to the freaking place. And we, we got down in there, and there, the, uh, there was a little uh, indentation in the bank, kind of like a cave that, yeah. w- that we set up house in and stuff like this. And really? Yeah. And we, we were cooking meals, you know, C4 and all that kind of stuff in there. And, in uh, Laos. Yeah. Oh, what the hell? There was nobody, you know, there was nobody where we were. Yeah, you're far west beyond yeah, our normal yeah, area of operations ex- for the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, so. Initially, we strung this net across there, and there were just too many drums. They broke the net, but we, we started hauling drums out and taking the, un, unscrewing the bung, and we went to try to set these things. Yeah. Right? Well, <laughs> you yes. ever heard the term freeze the balls off a brass monkey? I did. And you know what it means? Well, in the, in the old days, it's from the brass balls that roll around on the deck of a ship. Exactly. Yes. So, 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 so the monkey, which sat on the deck, was made out of iron, and or made out of brass. Excuse right. me. And the cannonballs were made out of iron. Yeah. So, in bad weather, the brass would shrink, and this pyramid of iron balls would roll around on the deck, breaking <laughs> legs and destroying ship decks. Right. Well, that's exactly what happened here. No. The brass shrunk, and we couldn't set it for variable time. So we just jury-rigged them and turned them on and screwed them in, right? (laughs) And put the drums back in the river. Yeah, yeah. And after that, we hiked back out and got picked up and went home. And for months, down the Ho Chi Minh Trail at these truck parks, there Oil and gas was blowing up everywhere. And if you tried to unscrew those bungs, they blew up also. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So oh so even God. so they went off when we had them set, and they also, if they tried to look and see, they would go off. So we slowed them down for a long, long time. So you, you ran that one after the Frenchman did his with the yeah. RT of yeah. Virginia. Well, it was, yeah, it was him. Disco- that was the prototype. The, it was, yeah, it was him, those guys discovering that. That, that got the NSA going, okay, how do we do this, yeah. right? And we volunteered to do it. <laughs> but I think you could launch in from Thailand. Oh, yeah. Oh, d- and then set up an RON, just d- go ahead and cook. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. It was, it was like being on vacation. You got to swim, you know. <laughs> Freeze your butt off is what you... <laughs> yeah, well, that too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, so um, there was was there was there any other Zolanakis story? Because uh, there's two things on the wiretaps. Just for uh, we were told always wiretap if you can't hear anything because mm-hmm. the CIA was told absolutely. Well, yeah, they so, amplify it. Yeah, so so if, if you install a wiretap and you don't hear anything, right? Yeah, you reach in your rucksack and you pull out another little uh, device called a telephone line analyzer, and you hook it up. And, it's, and you wind it up, and you push the button, and it sends a signal down the line, right? No. Yeah. And so it rings up the combo bug bunkers, <laughs> and, and you sit there looking at it. And when the guy answers the phone down here, and there's an arrow that says he's down there, right? Yeah, yeah. So you look at that, and he says, oh, this guy's uh, 500 feet away, and this guy's talking to this guy. Oh, and he's 750 feet away, whatever it is, right? Yeah, yeah. So you, it, and you know where you are on the map. Right, so you just plot that stuff out on the map and feed it to the Air Force, and they bomb the crap out of their <laughs> yeah telephone line offer uh, analyzer with with a ringback device is what it was called yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> well um, so any other tricks from Zolanakis and the boys uh, no because I remember. The one time you and I were down in Saigon and we met with some of the CIA guys. Yeah. On one hand, we met some guys that weren't what I would call would be the creme de la creme. Yeah. But on the other hand, one of the brightest men I've ever met, there was a guy with blonde hair, but whenever we talked to him, he was always three or four sentences ahead of us. Yeah, so he was the guy. I did a thing just this was about four months before I left on the second tour there that uh, I ran three what they called for them. This, mm-hmm. was, this was outside of SOG stuff, right? Right. And they were called two in, one out, and they were, it's a stay-behind mission. Right. And the, we would go in at last light and go to, uh, the object was to uh, put a battery in, in remember aqua buoy sensors that sure. they used to drop? Yeah. Well, we'd change the batteries. <laughs> On the aqua voice sensor, and the the guy that I was with was an NVA POW. Really, three times, yeah. And three times, yeah, and yeah, and believe me, I did. I it scared the shit out of me. Okay. Oh yeah. And 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 his job after we got done doing that was to just walk off into the bushes and repatriate himself. Okay. <laughs> and my job was to go home. Whoa. Yeah. But that was nerve-wracking. I'd, I'd had enough by that time, okay? <laughs> and I, I didn't like standing next to a guy dressed in full NVA uniform with all his weapons and crap. Well, yeah, you also had had a very bad experience with an all-NVA Chuhoi team at Da Nang. Yeah. As I recall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Somewhere yeah. in between your time with Alabama and, and Idaho and other stuff, Somebody thought it'd be a good idea for you to be a one-zero of a Chuhoi team, yes, which, which were NVA which Cobra, allegedly converted Cobra team. Yes, yeah, and that and uh, not not the, not the one from. Oh yeah, it was Eddington's team. It was Eddington's team. Yeah, yeah. Well, Eddington, just for our listeners, is was Patrick J. Eddington. Patrick J. Eddington, who was just he had the Asian look. Yeah, tall. Well, his 
I can't remember what I think his mother was Asian and and his and his father was Irish or something. Right, like something that. like that. Yeah. Right, with a name like that. But yeah. and he just because of his looks, his teams could walk up and down the trail. Yeah, they when they went to the field, they dressed in NBA gear. Right. Yeah. In fact, I I think I sent you that picture of them all outside their hooch with all, yeah. all their gear on. Yeah. It's just a great. He had, yeah. so at some point his time on the team expired and you wound right. up with Cobra? I wound up with Cobra. Yeah. Whoa. For about a month. And 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 they refused to assimilate. Absolutely refused. I mean they 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 told me if we went to the field I wasn't gonna come back out of out of there alive. So So you had an incident with them down the firing range, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh they all got sent back to the POW camp. Ah, uh, okay. So oh my God. Yeah. So if you could just take us through that a little bit, because I'd never heard that side of the story. Because you were at the range. Yeah. At some point they said, oh, we don't, we're not going to do this anymore. Right. And you said, well, we're going to talk about this. What happened? They, they all pointed their guns at me Whoa. and said, you aren't the team leader. And they had, they had their own team leader. Yeah. And they were going to grease me right there on the spot. How'd you get out of being greased? I got in the cab of the truck and drove back home. <laughs> <laughs> I said, fuck this. I'm not doing this shit. These guys are done, okay? Because they're not going to let any American take control of them. That's why Eddington really didn't do... Remember the Mugia Pass thing? Oh, of course. Thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's, that's why that really never happened, was because of that team. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. So how did you aid and abet the apprehension of said same team? Oh, it was easy. They were they they all lived in this this building up by headquarters, which was a, kind of a, a a conference room kind of thing. Where is where they lived? And they kept them apart and separate from the other indigenous in the camp. Mm-hmm. And uh, they and we landed. I went in and reported out. They put guards around it, and the next day the POW camp guys showed up and took that, them away. Took them away. Wow. Yeah. Just another day, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think for this point in time, sir, we're getting close to uh, wrapping up here. Okay. And uh, if, if, you, if you don't mind, as Jocko would say, I'd like to get you back here right away. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the way he talks? <laughs> oh, he's much more, he's much more pronounced. Is he? And, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A leadership. He has better leadership qualities than I. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we'd like to do that. All right. So um, what I'd like to do is to close up here. And then, uh, again, to remind everyone, Whiskey, Foxtrot, Tango. How about Whiskey, Tango, Foxtrot? Are you sure? Yeah, look at the comment. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, see? That's oh, a test. You I can spell. <laughs> <laughs> With that thought in mind, buy it. It's available at bookstores everywhere. No, not necessarily, but online for sure. Yeah, Amazon's Amazon. got it. Indeed. Yeah. And uh, it's... It's got now over a thousand reviews. That's right from from people that have liked the book. Yeah. So if you haven't already done so, please do so. Fourth uh, of July is coming up. The perfect parent gift for people to want to sit, learn a little bit about the war with all the non-history being taught in America's schools today. Perhaps this would be a good time to uh, venture down that path. So at this point, I'd like to. Uh, Today, we'd like to uh, thank our military, the Border Patrol, and the first responders, those who have defended our country and serve it. And we thank the men and women 
who served in the years past, men like Lynn M. Black Jr., who served our country with great valor. We also remember and salute the men and the women who were not able to return. And as we sign off, I wanted to remind our viewers that if you haven't seen him yet, I suggest going to Jocko Podcast number 247, where we review this book with Jocko, because as many fans, there's moments we had these Jocko moments in his review of the book. And then also Jocko Podcast number 258, where Jocko and I interviewed Cowboy, Doan Khan, the first, the one, and the only. It's an amazing interview, and you get a look at a man that, if nothing else, scroll to the last five minutes. You hear a guy who grew up in Vietnam, his parents left the communists to eventually land in America with an amazing story. And also, we could... Uh, this podcast would not be possible without the support of Jocko Willing Productions, his amazing staff led by Echo Charles. And with that, we would like to close out and we thank all the military personnel out there, particularly during these troubled times, who defend our country. With that, God bless America. <laughs>